don't care how many more points I score or what I can or cannot do on the floor. The real question for me is, can I play without cheating this game? The day I can't give the game everything on the floor is the day I'll be done. Lucky for you guys, that day is not today. Welcome back inside the DriveHuber.com studios. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Nathaniel Finch by the ones and twos here on the Fan Midday Show. That's not the way we're going to spend most of this afternoon, but it is worth a mention because of the stature of the player. LeBron James announced last night the SB Awards. He'll be returning for a 21st season. No way. In the NBA. I know. Oh, I am, my gosh. I am, I am he had me on the edge of my seat. I, am, I thought LeBron James was going to be done <laughs> after making it to the conference finals last year. And still averaging 28 points a game. I thought it might be time for him to hang it up, too. Yeah, I was, I was very baffled as well. Uh, he'll join Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Garnett, Robert Parrish, Kevin Willis, and Vince Carter, who holds that record with 22 seasons. This will be LeBron's 21st in the NBA players to make it that far within their career. And as James mentioned, the production has not dipped to levels where, as LeBron alluded to last night, he feels like he is stealing from the game or not. He's, he's basically taking advantage of the game. He doesn't feel like he's at that point. That'll probably be all that we get to, at least in this opening segment with that. But again, no surprises there. SBs is a heck of a summer stage to get that statement out there, and, and away we go. I mean, not to be that person, because he is rich, but $47 million in base salary this year. And I don't care how rich you are, you're not giving up $47 million to do what you love. No. So I could see if he was going into like a year where he – will be an unrestricted free agent, and it's like, okay, do you want to keep playing? But he has two years left on his deal, including this season coming up, so he will not be returning roughly $100 million. No, no way. And again, we could go into, we're not going to, we go into for an entire show on why <laughs> production numbers dipped a bit in the postseason. Was it his ankle? Was it Father Time finally getting ahead? Again, all of that it will be played out by other places throughout the entirety of this summer. I think it was the ghost of Benedict Matherin. <laughs> very well could have been. Those <laughs> comments from last summer looming in LeBron James's head to the point that production numbers dipped a bit in the postseason. So again, LeBron James back, and that retains LA's status as a contender out west. We'll dive a little bit more into the Pacers and how things are at in Summer League at the 2 o'clock hour. Tony East will join us then. But I want to start in the NFL ranks, and this will both be a conversation on where things are at from a Jonathan Taylor standpoint with the Colts, but also a big picture NFL conversation on where running backs are and how they're really valued around the league. James and I have had this discussion in a handful of different ways over the last couple of weeks. We've had this discussion with you fine folks as well as the shift the last decade on how running backs are valued around the National Football League has changed to a point where you're having players that are not near that age-old barrier mark of once you're north of 30 and a running back in this league you're spoiled goods and and we really don't need to have any more part of you it appears <laughs> i guess this would be the way inflation goes uh from a running back standpoint now that's gone to 27 years old is is the the prime age to be released and, and be cut <laughs> that's, that's, so crazy, that's, that's where right? things go it's a it's a three-year difference now and now 27 year olds are the new 30 in terms of eh, too much mileage on you we're gonna move on and maybe another team's gonna sign you up Ezekiel Elliott has not been signed up. Kareem Hunt has yet to be found a new home. Nor is Dalvin Cook, nor is Leonard Fournette. A lot of those within their 27 and 28-year-old range for those four running backs. And brings us back to where Jonathan Taylor is right now as a 24-year-old, James. I know we've had this conversation that if the years are right and the money is right in a perfect scenario for the Colts, even though he does have a lot of mileage from college, 
the age range that he's at and what he can still do from a production standpoint isn't in a bad spot to retain him. And that's still something that I think we'd both like to see happen. But before we get into Jonathan Taylor specifically, as you look around the league, it isn't an overcorrection by any means. It's just like the old school, and I can't believe we're saying this, but like the old school way of being a dominant big man, being a dominant running back is no longer in vogue in the NFL. It's not something that teams are wanting to build their rosters around like they would have 10, 15 years ago and beyond. And it's being reflected now in such a way that you're having not only players in the boat of Kareem Hunt, in the boat of Dalvin Cook, in the boat of Ezekiel Elliott, and Saquon Barkley fighting the tag right now, you're also having less and less high-end draft capital, first-round picks being utilized at the running back position, which puts this very weird kind of both ways you're, you're getting the short end of the stick as a running back in today's NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's just a tough position to be at considering how much you wear and tear you have on your body, how much you could mean to your team, but also knowing in the grand scheme of things that it ultimately doesn't matter if the quarterback isn't the position you have figured out. Because I go back to Jonathan Taylor. He had an you know, all-pro season arguably the best running back season in franchise history, all the records and things like that. And they didn't make the playoffs. And so when you look at the data, and I know people hate analytics and data driven things, but when you look at it, it's been proven throughout at least the last decade or so that you can win big without having to allocate that money towards a position that is becoming year after year less, um, I don't want to say needed, but just less needed in the sense of the money you put towards it. And so even with the players like Saquon, Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs, a few others, they're transcendent guys. They're really good players. But again, how good is good enough? You know what I mean? And, and that's usually what the the math and what the uh, the, the dividends kind of come down to when you, when you weigh how much a guy is worth as far as his career and also his um his money and then also the position. Are you surprised that it's gotten to the point where teams are now looking at first round status? For a while, and this is also in the article by Bill Barnwell, but for a while from like the 50s all the way to 2012, you would always see running backs go in the first round. And it wasn't a, a shock to see them at, at very high level top 10 like ranges. And then over the last... 9, 10, 11 years, you've seen that shift now where running backs are sparingly taken in the first round. Usually it's towards the back end to, to maybe middle if you're a really high-level prospect that teams feel like they can't pass on. But outside of that, they've now been relegated to the second round of most drafts. Are you at all surprised, or what do you make of the fact that from a draft capital standpoint, it's not just free agency and dollars that teams are willing to spend or even re-signing your own, it's starting right out of college now where we're going to evaluate, even if it is a premium position at times still, we're going to evaluate running backs differently in such a way that they're now second round or worse type value. Yeah, that's that's the tough part, right? You just don't know how much how much is going to continue to keep shifting. And also how much you want to invest in it. That That's the hard part for me. Um, I, and I feel for the guys. I'm not saying, like, you're not valuable, but 
Oh, I feel like of all the leagues, the NFL might be the most cutthroat when it comes to this type yeah. of stuff because nothing is really guaranteed to you. You do sacrifice so much physically to even go out there and perform. But I can't sit up there and say if I, James Boyd, was a GM that I would feel more inclined to pay these guys more than the other GMs would. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just a tough position to be in. And, and I wonder, I do wonder if we'll see, you know, I don't think the position will go out of style per se because kids play, you know, everywhere or whatever. But you do wonder, you know, if you're an elite type of athlete, is that something you think of, you know, earlier in life? And I'm not saying that it's going to, you know, go into effect in the next five years, but do you see that kind of trend downward to the point where it's like, ah, if you got some talent and some wiggle and things like that, do you play a different position? Do you try to get outside if you if you can have the speed to kind of back up what you want to do? So Well, that's what that piece even went as far as to say, which again, I, I don't know if that's too far or not, but is it going to trickle down to the point of high school all the way down to as, as far as, you know, Pop Warner, if we want to go extreme here, of our kids that are playing the game deciding as they evolve and get to different stages and get to the high school ranks, are they not wanting to play that position anymore? Because not only is it dime a dozen viewed from the franchise just interchangeably you can look no further at the at the list we always harp on of of the last 14 super bowl winners no more than 2.5 million dollars was the salary of their leading running back but it's not just with that decision making it's also with you see so often a team being willing to move on from a guy that's a proven vet because something younger, something shinier at that position with less mileage and is also cheaper is waiting in the wings. You could look no further than Detroit, or not Detroit, Dallas and Minnesota right now. Dalvin Cook out, Alexander Madison in. Ezekiel Elliott out, Tony Pollard in. I mean, that, and that's something that you've seen around the league the last couple of seasons with people not afraid to get younger at the running back position and pay less to do it. Yes. And again, you can find that production. Be, but it comes down to the quarterback. Right. You get that position correct, then the rest of it kind of figures itself out. Now, you still have to do some work, obviously, to work out your roster and mm-hmm. build the team around them. But when you think of the Kansas City Chiefs, when you think of the Philadelphia Eagles, when you think of the Cincinnati Bengals, if you ask the average fan who their starting running back is, they probably wouldn't know because they aren't a star. Yeah. It's just a guy who gets the job done. I think Kansas City, now they're they're the exception to the rule, in my opinion, because of how good Patrick Mahomes is. Sure. So you can pretty much put... People who go play with him, their game gets elevated because of him. Like, that's how good he is. But other teams around the league, even like the Buffalo Bills, who have struggled to run the ball, they actually got to get better at that. You can't really... I, don't, I wouldn't say any of these running backs are like household names. Right. And when you look at the big contracts that we discussed a couple weeks ago, they've gone to the Alvin Kamara's, the Christian McCaffrey's, mm-hmm. who can pass catch yes, and who can be a third down threat and who can sort of basically flip the math on the defense to force you to treat them as a receiver. I mean, how many times we've we seen them line up and it's like, okay, well, let's audible out of this and... Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey, you just line up outside and beat that linebacker who's too slow to guard you. So that's the part where I'm like, it's either, like you said, you can have the trickle-down effect where you wonder if the elite athletes are going to be like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to play running back, or will they be more inclined to at least try to diversify their skill set at an earlier age where you're not just 
a traditional running back because we're seeing less and less of that in the league. I think when you get a lot of minutes and a lot of reps, I'm saying minutes like it's basketball, but get a lot of reps and and carries and things like that and opportunities and plays, you can kind of increase your value if you can stay on the field more and not be a quote-unquote just a runner. You could be a pretty good blocker and then obviously be someone who, again, should, in, in, in the perfect world, every running back would always beat the linebacker. But that's just not the case. Like the really good ones do it and can move the chains and obviously provide value in that way. And even then, the only one who I would say the team feels good about what they're making at the moment is Christian McCaffrey. Because even the Saints, I think, will probably be like, man, like mm, Alvin Kamara. A little bit dinged up last year. Can he be the same guy? But And then Christian McCaffrey was like that for two years until he you know, went to San Francisco, who's loaded with talent, and it's like, oh, everything's great. Like, yeah, it works out. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing what happens when you have other offensive exactly. weapons built around you. I'm going to read you a couple teams here, and I want you to, I guess, tell me if you feel like they have a shot at contending for, we'll, we'll put the bar high, contending for a Super Bowl this year. I'm going to read some teams Ooh, for you. Okay, okay let's ready? go. All right. We'll start easy here. 49ers. Yes. Okay. Saints. No. Titans. No. Browns. No. But you hesitate a little bit there because... No, I was... Because I wouldn't blame you because of Watson. I thought maybe... No, no, no. It wasn't even that. I was trying to make sure like... uh, I was trying to remember who else is on the team besides him and I was like, wait a second. No, no one's over there. Bengals. Yes. Packers. No. Cowboys. No. Raiders. No. Okay. That's eight teams. Those are the eight teams that currently have the highest yearly salary heading into 2023 for their current running backs. And of those teams, of those eight teams, you had the Bengals and the 49ers as Super Bowl potential contenders. Christian McCaffrey, you mentioned that example already, making $16 million a year annually with the 49ers. And with Joe Mixon, making $12 million annually with the Cincinnati Bengals. With Cincinnati, they have their quarterback answered, which is what James had mentioned. You need to have the quarterback solidified for everything to really get easier for you as a franchise. Like, yes, if you have a a Josh Allen or an Aaron Rodgers or a Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts, the list goes on. If you have those top-tier quarterbacks already assembled, it gets much easier with roster building because, as James mentioned, you would expect the quarterback to be able to elevate you everywhere else. That list, though, drops to one of those eight teams if Christian McCaffrey is still in Carolina, and that is the team that paid him that big deal yeah. in the first place. One of the eight teams that hold the highest paid running back or one of the highest paid running backs in the National Football League, and I don't disagree with James at all, I would maybe be willing to hear an argument about the Browns because Deshaun Watson, I think at some point, off the field, everything aside, just as a player, is too good to not have some type of bounce back this year. Unfortunately for him, even in his own division, there's teams better than him there. Yeah, I was just thinking to myself, like, I don't see them winning that division. No. So, I mean, that just goes back to the point, though, where where we're at with high-paid running backs, that it does not compute in today's NFL unless you're in a perfect storm where you have the top-tier quarterback 
or one of the top-tier quarterbacks like the Bengals do. And there's already been rumors this summer about are they going to restructure with Joe Mixon or what's the, the yeah. setup going to be as that deal, I think, enters. It might be, yeah, it's his last year of that contract. So do they try to allocate anything? Or Sorry, he does have one more year. So he's unrestricted in 2025. Is there a restructure that goes on there with Mixon? And the only reason it blinks with McCaffrey is because it's one of the best offenses in football and one of the rare instances where Kyle Shannon's offense is so good that, and the defense is so strong, you could put almost anybody under center. We say almost anybody because last year's NFC Championship game, and things are going to move like a well-oiled machine. That's the sample of top running backs right now in the league. That's where it's at. Absolutely. And then I think when you tie this back to the Colts, it's why the Anthony Richardson pick is so important. It's so huge. You want this guy to be able to show you he's the guy, he's an elite player, before that rookie deal is up that way you can at least you know know how to build a team around him or if you're going to build a team around him and so I think that Jonathan Taylor is actually in a better position than a lot of the running backs we named because all of those teams the Raiders and the Giants especially they already paid their quarterbacks big money you know we saw Dalvin Cook get released but they already paid Kirk Cousins big money the Colts are not in that position where they have to pay Anthony Richardson big money right away. Yep. So you can afford to at least invest in Jonathan Taylor, use him to help the development of Anthony Richardson. And then again, as we talked about, when you get old, quote unquote, and you're 27, 28, they can reassess your value. And quite frankly, if you don't want to take less money by then, and Anthony Richardson has proven himself, or even if he hasn't, it's not going to keep you either way. You know, it's yeah. either we have the quarterback of the future and we're going to ask you to take less money to still remain with him and be productive, or we don't have our quarterback of the future and we're rebuilding anyways. And why would we give money to a running back sure. when we don't have a quarterback? And so that's the uh, the dilemma that he faces. And I know Colts fans probably rolled their eyes when I said, you don't, you don't have a quarterback. We just don't know yet. Obviously, the, in the ideal world, you want Anthony Richardson to be the guy. We just don't know that just yet although i did see him flying through the air at the ymca and enjoyed that so by the way um i don't know about you and look i am all for by all means if i was the star power even though i've yet to take a snap if i had the star power that anthony richardson has i'd be going everywhere around this city surprising kids and and young adults like james like he did earlier this week but Man, I tell you what, I took a deep breath as he's leaping through the air and, and having that breakaway slam. I was like, all right, let's let's just be a little bit careful here, please. Just, just a yeah, tiny bit. And I've read all the comments <laughs> and I've not even read them all. I just kept getting dinged and I was like, okay, let me mute this. And I didn't even tweet this out until after the gym had closed. I knew if I tweeted it out, um, everyone would just try to like come flooded or sure. something like that. Um, Nathaniel was there. Oh, yeah. Were, were you there? Yeah, yeah, he was there. Actually, I walked in, and I see him, and I'm like, oh, I'll see you Thursday. And so I, I was like, like I, it was like, again, seeing your coworkers in like your regular life, and I'm like, wait a second, why the heck am I seeing Nathaniel here? And then we see Anthony Richardson, and he came in after me, and I had my back turned, and so I'm like, you know, doing something, putting on my shoes, and someone says, it's Anthony Richardson. I, I look, and so I walked over to him, and I was like, what are you doing here with us mortals? And he just laughs, and I'm like, you know, he, you know, asked me how I was doing, and he did recognize me. And I just asked, you know, how's your summer going, things like that, and people were kind of DMing me and asking questions like, hey, um, you know, what are you doing this? You know, what is he doing this summer? Did you talk to him about? It? I'm like, no, I did not interview Anthony Richardson at a pickup game. It was just watching him be super athletic.
I uh, I'm sorry to be another one of the people that were in your mentions, but it made me chuckle when you quote tweeted it. So I'll ask you here on air since we have the medium for it. Uh, did he at all bring up said uh, overlook question that that the, the, the combine question that uh, you joked with him about? Where where, 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 where you were? Uh, well, you you paid the picture for the folks at home. So yeah, I don't, I don't no, no, no. Um, I think we addressed that when he got drafted did, in that did. first interview. And after that, we've been good. So it's funny when I see that comment from people and they're like, man, did he dunk on you and call you a project? And, <laughs> and it's like, no. I think that honestly, it probably made our relationship a little bit better because it's like a joke that I can always go back to. But at this point, I feel like that joke has kind of run its course in real life. Right. And then on social media, it's like something that I can never run away from. And I don't mind it. I think it's hilarious. It's funny. I see oh, it. It but um, yeah, it was fun seeing him talking to him. And he, trust me, he's doing fine. I think people see that video. And beyond, I get the whole safety part of it. Like, hey, I don't. maybe I don't want my quarterback doing these things. And quite honestly... I don't, to be clear. <laughs> no, no, no. And that's, and that's totally fair. But I also think to myself... You know, this is probably the last time he'll play pickup basketball, sure. like until he's like 40, if he has a really good career. Sure. And so take that for what it's worth. But on the flip side, it's not like this is all he's been doing. Correct. No, I, like, that, that, I wasn't in that yeah, camp. There's been people the like, why well, I see on a basketball court, he needs to be, you know, throwing Correct. five yard outs and throw yeah. some deep balls and no. get on the field with Alec I'm Pierce like and that. Michael Pittman Jr. And I'm like, sure. he has been training his butt off. Right. And that will continue in a few weeks. More intensely, obviously, with training camp. So, everyone take a deep breath. Um, AR is a man of the people. Nice guy. <laughs> and again, no one treated him like a celebrity. Like, there are people that were kind of like, oh, is that him? Had a little fun with the guy, Jimmy. This guy walked in. And he's like, is that Anthony Richardson? I was like, no. <laughs> like, just deadpan. He's like, that looks just like him. I was like, yeah, it's really cool, man. Like, I, I, man. And then, like, he goes up and does something. He's like, that is AR. And I was like, uh, duh. Like, who else in Indiana looks like? Who else on earth looks like that? And he did like a look like a giant to us, and I had a good time. And again, he's a pretty good athlete. He's the best player just because he was the biggest guy, and um, you know, pretty coordinated. And honestly, the coolest part about it is that he wasn't selfish at all. Like it wasn't like he took every shot and was trying to dunk it every time. Sure, he literally played like a regular guy. He just had like extraordinary leaping ability. So it was like, ah, oh, I'll just take this normal layup for like James and like just dunk it instead. I have to be the parent. I don't like being the parent, but I have to be the parent. Anthony? <laughs> Feels so weird. Um, there's horse. There's pig. There's knockout. There's around the world. And the only reason I feel comfortable saying that is you and I both know there's no way Chris Ballard didn't send a message after that video and be like, hey, uh, playing some pig. Which again, you know I don't what? care. Like, it's totally fine. I get it. Like, he's he, he only just turned 21 the other day. And you're right, James. Like, that might be the last opportunity to play pickup, but... What a town we would be in if something would have happened in oh, scrimmage. I totally agree. But at the same time, and I had this guy who got mad at me on Instagram. He was like, man, why are you blowing up the spot? Andy Rich is going to get in trouble now. And I'm like, what? He went to the most popular gym yeah. in Indianapolis. Just because James is there doesn't mean somebody else isn't going to be on TikTok or Twitter. I kid you not, like 20 phones are out. It just happens that obviously I have the more social media sure. presence. But I'm How like, dare you, James? it wasn't like I'm like peeping through some hole and he's at this private <laughs> gym session and I'm like, wait a second, oh my gosh. You're just hopping over yeah, a fence just and trying like, to see what's going on. Yeah, Nathaniel's at the desk texting me like, hey, you know who just came in? You gotta get a video. It was just like, he walks in at the busiest time of the day and I'm like, wow, like, what are you doing here? And so, again, I think everyone can kind of take a deep breath. He had some fun with it. And again, this is not something that I, that I foresee being no, a regular thing no. 
for the foreseeable future. And so I think AR is just, you know, going around being young and kind of enjoying the city a little bit more. And I did I tell him, I was like, hey, I see you made it past Walgreens. First step, <laughs> you know, a little bit further down the street to, to make it to the YMCA. But um, he's enjoying himself. And, 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 and again, I didn't ask him too many questions, but just how's your summer going? He's like, hey, I've been training, working hard, excited for the season, stuff like that. But beyond that, it wasn't a bunch of, you know, uh, what do you what do you think on this zone read right here or you and Jonathan Taylor together in the backfield? It was more of like he's like, Hey, I need to get some cardio in, you know, have a little bit of fun, kinda, you know, release, I guess, some some tension and he had a he had a good time and his first play Jimmy, they threw like a mid-court, you know, alley-oop. And again, no one's like running underneath it. He was like by himself. He runs and catches it and just reverse dunks it with like super <laughs> ease. And I was just like, he's one of those people, I truly believe. If he had focused on any sport, yeah. he would be really good at whatever sport he focused on because he's just that gifted of an athlete. We need a handful more details here. Did you ever draw the assignment? I did. I did. So, fortunately for me, he passed. <laughs> you know, un- unselfish AR. Like, you know, you want a quarterback to be a passer, sure, obviously. Sure. Pass first guy. And um, he also uh, had a time where he – I got the ball on a fast break, and I was dribbling up. And normally I would like try to go in and try to lay it up on the guy. I saw this or, tweet. I saw this no, serious. I was going and, I, and like I'm just calculating, calculating the math in my head. Like, if you take this ball and you dribble it down the court, and you go up and you shoot it, it is either going off the glass because he smashes it, or you're shooting it so high it's not going to touch any any rim at all. And so I definitely chose um, the Steph Curry route. Nice. Stopped and shot three. I made it. I did make it. Well done. You know, I was one for one that game. I had a guy on my team who did not pass the ball at all. So that was not fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I definitely did the math in my head because I was thinking to myself, you can either go, quote unquote, viral if you just post a video of him dunking, or you can go viral because you're in the video and he dunked on you or he smashed your layup off the backboard like he's swatting a fly. So I chose the jump shot. It was a good decision. Some people would say that's math you were doing in your head. Some people would call it a business decision. I, I don't know. Oh, I mean, it I, was I, a great business decision. Look, <laughs> I know my limits. Regular human beings, yeah, I'll shoot that layup. Yeah, I'll go up. Sure. I'll try to do. Hey, people, you made who, the three. It worked out. Yeah, too. people who float, you know, through the air and jump as high as him. No, and then to your point about you know potential injuries and stuff. I'm not going in there where feet and stuff can get tangled. Seriously, and that's not even with Anthony Richardson. That's like everybody. Yeah. I'm always in the mode of, I don't have any more hoop dreams. My career, whatever it was, is over. And so I refuse to walk out of this gym with a limp. And so there's a lot of business decisions that get made throughout pickup games where I'm like, that guy doesn't care if he goes to work tomorrow with a black eye or a limp. I do. I want to make sure I look handsome for you, Jimmy. I don't want to. Remember that time when I messed up my toe and I came in here and I was walking like, Yes, looked like you'd been through it. it exactly, tough. and so I was like, "No, I don't want to be that person that does that to Anthony Richardson." Then I'll be most hated guy in town. No. <laughs> Last thing before we step away, for you as, as you're evaluating where your sources are, are we to understand <laughs> that you. I mean, I know you made the joke about Nathaniel, but are we to understand you don't have sources now placed at every gym within Central Indiana? <laughs> is, is that what you're oh saying? Oh my gosh, I had someone reach out to me like, "Hey, man, like." When are you and Anthony Richardson going to play again? And I was like, this is not something I planned at all. It was pure luck. I just grabbed my backpack and I was like, I haven't played basketball in a while. Let's go up here and get some exercise in. And look who had the same idea. Literally how it happened. It was not me stalking him. I was not the NFL where you can geolocate, you know, where he is. And sure. 
you know, do it that way and make sure that I follow him. To no his, trackers on any Yeah, no, okay, I was good. not right. stalking okay. Anthony okay. Richardson. He was stalking me. That, that makes, That's yeah. the story I'm going to yep. give out there. But no, he had a little fun. And I think, again, you will not see this happen no, I don't either. I mean, again, I would say, or very often anymore, because one, once he signs his deal, I'm sure there'll be something in there that says, uh, "Hey, sure." For and this is not just for him; it's for like every quarterback. Everywhere. Mahomes got in trouble for it, like right after yeah. he signed that big five hundred million dollar extension. Like it, it happens. Players want to be normal humans. I I totally get it, but so much at stake, and particularly for him, because James, you mentioned that there, it's not. A, I don't even mean from the Colts side of things. I understand Colts fans, irrational, rah, angry. There's no big amount of money tied to his name yet. It's just a rookie contract right now. So th- there is something. That, like if, if it's Mahomes big, and Josh like, Allen got us. hurt, there's still, <laughs> to, the, to the media and to fans, it matters. But it's even more so for Richardson because if something does happen, he doesn't have what a Mahomes or a Josh Allen or Joe Burrow, soon to be Joe Burrow, have to fall back on. I hear you, but I'm just not... The man that thinks so negatively, I'm like not. you all out there, okay? Hey. Think positive things. Positive things would happen. The video made me smile. It wasn't until afterwards where I really thought about it, and I was like, you know what? I didn't think anything about the landing or like him running through track until like people started analyzing the video, yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh! And then people. Beyond that, that's fine. The people who are like, that's a travel, get out of my mentions. <laughs> you do not enjoy anything. Those people get on my nerves. I'm like, why do, are you like this? Do you like sports? Do you like anything related to sports? Because it's like, I counted three steps. Can you do a dunk? Can you lay the ball up with your left hand or your right hand or your off hand? So don't let me, don't get me started, Jimmy. I'm already, uh, you know, pretty fired up. <laughs> James is locked in as am I. Nathaniel's here with us as well. We've got a great show for you. Nate Atkins, Jake Arthur, Tony East going to join us as well. But Nate leads things off. Not our very own Nate Atkins of the Indy Star. Another Nate Atkins of Chicago Bears. Bears Wire will be with us to give us a little bit of an inside look at the ongoings in Chicago as we get closer and closer, not only the start of their training camp, but the start of joint practices between the Colts and the Bears. Nate Atkins from the Bears Wire on the Fan Midday Show next. Still here in the DriveHubler.com studio alongside my pals, Nathaniel Finch, Jimmy Cook, Anthony Richardson. If I blew up the hoop spot, I'm sorry. For the record, I was not the only one who took video, but I guess obviously the following kind of helped. So I feel bad in that sense. I'm like, Dag, that just ruined this guy's summer. But at the same time. Is that your first question next time you see him? First maybe, media availability? Maybe. Did that ruin your hoop summer? So I don't know. Maybe I'll get another like hard answer where he's just like, I don't like this guy. And I'm back in his bad graces. I don't know. I'll try to get back in the good graces. We'll see how it goes. But um, maybe we'll ask this guy on the line, Nate Atkins who covers not that Nate Atkins here in Indy Star. We're talking about Nate Atkins up in Chicago covering the Bears for Bears Wire, part of the USA Today Network. Nate, have you ever seen a video of Justin Fields dunking and playing pickup basketball this offseason? <laughs> <laughs> hey, James. Uh, thanks for having me on. I, I think I missed that. Have I seen Justin Fields what? <laughs> Dunk during a pickup basketball game this summer because we had that happen here with Anthony Richardson. Yeah, no, but there was, uh, I think it was last year, he hit a couple home runs when they went to Wrigley Field, so that was pretty cool. I haven't seen him dunk a basketball. So basically we just have to get AR on behind the plate. Like we said, there's a line here between physical exertion that is acceptable (laughs) and something that's like, I mean, really? 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, it looked get, cool, though. Hey, it, it did look cool. really cool. I mean, James was there in person. Yeah, no, it was it was insane. I was thinking, wow, yeah, God just chose you to be a great athlete because I am not been blessed with any of that. But um, <laughs> jokes aside, Nate, one of the things that I want to talk to you about and why I want to have you on the show is there's going to be these joint practices come August between the Bears and the Colts. But one of the things I find very interesting about that is I feel like we're looking at players who are very similar in skill set wise. And Anthony Richardson and Justin Fields, but Justin Fields is sort of in a different chapter of the journey. So how have you seen him maybe embrace more of a leadership role, grow from last season, and hopefully be in a better position than he was last year, considering all the changes that were made to upgrade the team? Yeah, that's a great question. I think with Fields, there's been a couple of things. Um I would say mentally he came in ready to be the starter as a rookie. I, I think with Matt Nagy and the group, they maybe slow walked that a bit. He, you know, he split time with Andy Dalton and, and Nick Foles. It took a while before he really got control of the team. And then last year, he right, he gets named the starter, but it's a new offense. So I think he's he's ready to be a leader and, and step up and run the team. And this will actually be nice for him consistency-wise. It's the same offense. He's the guy. Everyone knows he's the leader. And then they've brought in a couple of weapons. So I think, uh, you know, if you compare that to Richardson, I'm not sure what they're going to do in Indy, but I think, you know, Justin Fields obviously now knows he's going to be a captain. There's no more rotating captains. And this is his team and his offense that he gets to lead heading into this season. Where is the most expectations or pressure within that building? Is it on Justin Fields to, to take a leap forward and the Bears to – be somewhat successful because of it? Is it is it on Matt Eberflus or is it they know that it's going to be a up and down season this year despite the weapons they brought in, the schedule's a little tough, like they they might not have as good a year. Where's that baseline for them and where's the pressure riding the most in Chicago? Yeah, uh, can I say all of the above? <laughs> of course you can, um, yeah, no problem. <laughs> so I, I think I, I think the win total is set at like seven and a half, so maybe somewhere around there, which would be you know a big improvement from last year. I think offensively, yes, you do need to see Justin take a step forward. They brought in DJ Moore. Uh, however people feel about Chase Claypool, he is an upgrade to what was there previously. And last year, you know, they had one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL, if not first, top five. So um, I think now if you can combine that with Justin throwing the ball, that'll look good. As far as the schedule, the schedule's tough, but I would say for the first time in a long time, you know, with that new guy, being on hard knocks, the <laughs> NFC North is, is is wide open, you know. So it, it I don't know. I, I think seven and a half could be pretty competitive in the NFC North, given you know Jordan Love and, and Kirk Cousins on the other two teams, and then of course Jared Goff in Detroit. That would be so interesting. Seven and a half. How many wins do you think wins the division? <laughs> you know, eight or nine. Honestly, I, I think. Yeah. That would be so funny to me. <laughs> I kind of want to happen for the chaos, but um. One of the things I do want to touch on in regards to Justin Fields is the math when it comes to him being a dual threat quarterback. And obviously last year I think that most of my casual, you know, Bears fan family back home and they're like, he runs too much. And I'm like, well, he had no one to throw to. The blocking was not that great. So, you know, there's some factors there. But having that capability, Nate, how much do you think that just – elevates an offense when you put the proper pieces around it. Now, we don't know what it's going to look like just yet, but I would imagine it's better than last year. But when you have someone who can at least keep the defense honest with his running ability, how much does that maybe change what a defense can do? 
the dual threat is is huge, and, and especially with Justin. I, I would agree with, with your family that he, he probably ran too much and also understandable that there's not much for him to throw to. But, you know, again, knowing that he has that in his skill set, I mean, he made some phenomenal runs last year, just electric. So I, I think, again, if, if he can take that leap forward throwing the ball and he still has that ability to run in his back pocket, it makes the Bears so much more dangerous. It makes him probably – a top 15 quarterback, top 10 quarterback, if he puts it all together. So it's it's unreal to have that skill set that he had. Is this a prove-it year for him? Because obviously the question is going into the draft before the trade was made was, okay, is he the guy? Has he shown enough for them to trust him? Or would they select Bryce Young and move off from him? So, I mean, I from the outside looking in, I'm not sure the pairs are – 100% sold on him being their franchise quarterback. And if not, how big is this season towards proving it or not proving it? Great question. I, I Honestly, I don't know. I, I think it's a prove it-ish kind of year. I would say if he takes a step forward, I think, again, people like what they see. Uh, last year, you know, the running ability really stood out. If he can step forward this year, I, I think if he's just good, not great, he gets another year. But I would say if it's the opposite and, and he doesn't look any better or even regresses, I, I think you could expect the Bears to try to make a move in the draft or in the offseason to find a quarterback to at least create some type of competition. But I don't know that you know he's on the hot seat. I wouldn't put it there yet. Right, okay. How challenging does that answer become if the Bears don't have the luxury of not only their own first-round pick, but that first-round pick from Carolina, which it could basically put them within the, the top tier of the draft next year and have an opportunity at Caleb Williams if they needed to, if they needed to break that glass? How, how more difficult or less difficult does that answer about it being a prove year for him change if they did not have those assets? Yeah, again, a great question. I think you're right, and I think it's going to get really loud really quickly uh, in the media if, if he comes out and struggles, knowing that the Bears do have an opportunity to go up and get a guy like Caleb Williams. Uh, right, I, I think if they were sitting somewhere in the middle of the draft or maybe didn't even have a first-round pick like a couple years ago, you know, maybe Fields gets a little bit longer of a leash. But knowing that they have the, the draft assets that they do, knowing that you know a lot of people think highly of Caleb Williams, I do think, again, that pressure's on Justin, but I think if he plays well, you know, he's going to be the guy. You know, Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus have come out and, and backed him, and I know people in the organization like him, but he's got to show something, right? He's got to show some type of progress now. I believe, I think that's yeah. fair, you know. But one thing I'm also curious to know about, Justin, away from the football side of it, how have you seen him handle the spotlight and the pressure of being – the guy, because that's one thing that obviously will be a factor here in Indianapolis, is how do you handle it, Anthony Richardson, when things do not go well? And we know this league will humble you no matter how great you are to having some moments where it's rough or it doesn't look good. So how have you seen Justin Fields navigate that? And, and I'm just curious for myself to see, you know, maybe if I see similar things with Anthony Richardson this season. I think Fields is built for it, I, you know, and, and Richardson might likely be the same. You know, coming from those big programs like Ohio State, Florida, these guys get so much media attention and training. But I, I would say Justin's handled it really well. He's made himself a staple in the community. You know, he's gotten a bunch of endorsement deals going on already. I, if I think, you know, he's really only had one misstep, I think, where he might have 
critique the fans, you know, and, and saying they don't know what it's like to, to be on the field or something like that. But other than that, you know, everybody loves him in the community. He's handled a, a three and 13 season as well as he could. He says all the right things. He came into town talking about, you know, wanting to beat the Packers and, and flip the, the series win loss. So I think he knows what he's doing. But again, you know, the results have to start showing up, but he, he's handled it great. I tell you what, him criticizing the fans, saying they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. I love when athletes clap, clap back. When LeBron called his fans broke <laughs> after he lost the 2011 finals, that was the greatest interview ever. Like, I wish more athletes could do that without being police, but that's just my two cents because I, I love it. I'm thinking, yeah, we probably don't know as much as we think we do. But, Jimmy, go ahead. I know you want to get no, more I, I, I just No, I just wanted to ask because I was looking at it closer and we were having a conversation a little bit earlier. Nate Atkins of the Bear Wires joins us here on the Fan Midday Show. We're having a conversation about running backs. That's the story on ESPN.com right now of how undervalued are they in the league. Uh, the Bears, like the Colts, have a lot of cap space to play with. Whether it is one of these running backs that are still out there right now, Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin Cook perhaps, or going receiver with DeAndre Hopkins, is there any money left to be spent or a desire to spend any more money by the Bears this offseason? If they do, uh, it's going to be on defensive end, yeah. I would think. Uh, improving the pass rush right now, if you just look at the roster, there, there's not a lot of pass rush there. Um, there's some young guys, you know, Dominique Robinson, Trevis Gibson, but guys that need to prove themselves. Um, Demarcus Walker came in from Tennessee, Rasheem Green from uh, Houston. A lot of guys really that are just guys. And I I don't mean that to insult them, but they're not, they're not star pass rushers. You know, maybe they can develop into something, but right now they're not. A name that's been talked about a lot has been uh, Yannick Ngakwe. So I, I think if the Bears spend money, it would likely be on a player like that. Yeah. I was going to ask about him because he's still a free agent, you know, switched agencies, all those things. He had a pretty productive year here in Indianapolis. A little bit left to be desired, but you know I think that he could probably be a pretty decent fit. But one guy I do want to mention, or I know it's going to be a fit. I don't know how good of a fit. We'll find out. But DJ Moore, how important yeah. was it for them, the Bears that is, to go out and at least try to add someone who's as dynamic as him to help raise the level of the team and obviously the raise level of the quarterback play because we've seen it. I'm not saying DJ Moore is A.J. Brown or any of these guys who kind of just, you know, Stephon Diggs, but, you know, he's a thousand-yard receiver when healthy and a good player. So how much do you think that was a factor this offseason to try to help Justin Fields make that leap? It's huge. It's huge, James. I mean, people were talking about maybe we draft a guy. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigbo was a guy a lot of people wanted or, you know, Quentin Johnston. But I think always, in my opinion, take a guy that's proven over a rookie. So uh, I love the pick. And I, I think this is the most excitement that's been around the Bears offense probably since the days of, you know, Jay Cutler, Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffrey. So Moore is electric. He's going to bring a lot to the Chicago offense. And I, I wrote a piece just kind of tongue-in-cheek. I mean, his 5,000 career receiving yards or whatever it is from Carolina would make him the all-time leading receiver on the Bears. So we've never had a great wide receiver, and it, it just I think everybody's excited to have him there. Nate, last thing on my end. I know that the Immaculate Grid has taken the country's sports world by storm, but there's also been some copycats, including an NFL version. Um, As both a longtime Chiefs fans are growing up here in Indianapolis, I know your game's over, but you asked your Twitter following for assistance on potential Chief Colts crossover. Uh, Donnie Avery or Eric Fisher would have gotten you there. 
Oh, those are good. Eric Fisher. Wow. Yep. I never. Okay. I love that game, man. And then I found out there's another website that like copies it. So now I'm going to play it two times a day. But I love it. Yeah. Thanks for the help. <laughs> no, absolutely. It. No problem. <laughs> Last one from me, Nate. Are we going to see yeah, Justin go. Fields, Anthony Richardson in that preseason game? Or will it be one of those things where we just dissect the joint practices and the fans don't maybe get rewarded with actually seeing them in the real game? I think Fields is going to play. Um, I don't know what the Colts are going to do with Richardson, but I, I have a feeling Fields is going to play. Um, again, this, he's young. They they want to get him snaps. They want to get him, you know, as much of that game type of experience, experience with the offense as possible. So if Richardson plays, we'll get that matchup. So I, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to blame Indy for that. All right, we'll take that. I'll make sure to talk to Shane Steichen and get it all squared away. You know, hey, we want to see this. So, um, Nate, thanks for your time. Also, thanks for switching your schedule around. I got the day mixed up. He's supposed to be on tomorrow, and he texts me, and I'm like, oh, my bad. Let's figure this out. I'll find somebody else. And he's like, no, I got you. So, he's so clutch. You know what I mean? Like, I I need You need that from from real friends. I appreciate that, Nate. That's right. I mean, I was just playing crossover grid anyways. (laughs) Good dude. All right, man, you take it easy, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. All right, that was Nate Atkins from Bears Wire, part of the USA Today Network. I thought you were going to close funny, and I thought you were going to ask him if we are going to see Fields versus Richardson one-on-one at the Y. I really, I really thought that's the path you were going to go down there. I'm, my money's on Richardson. And then, again, the disrespect to my pickup basketball game was ridiculous. People were like, oh my gosh, did you just do nothing out there with him? I'm like, wait a second. He's the best athlete, but in a shooting contest, I'm winning. I'm winning. Like... <laughs> You know, I'd be careful that that does not quite go against my realm of thought, which is not a ton of physical exertion. You can get a jump shot or two up. That's fine. Look, if you it's, might find yourself in a three-point contest, if it's horse or pig with no dunks, I feel confident in my game. If there's dunks, oh, I'm losing because you know I have nothing in the the dunk package for you. You know, I might need a step letter to get up there. But um, <laughs> I am excited though to see what happens getting it back to the football side of things when we do see these two quarterbacks kind of square off and these joint practices because again to me it's two journeys that are on similar paths but just at different chapters and you wonder if Richardson can be perhaps inspired or pick up a few things about the way Fields has maybe matured and gotten better throughout this process. That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Nathaniel Finch here with us as well. Still to come, conversations with Jake, Arthur, and Tony East. We'll take a quick break. Get more on the Colts dynamic after this on the Fan Midday Show. Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, inside the drivehuber.com studios. Around the corner, conversation with Jake Arthur. Does a great job covering the Colts and the NFL at large. We'll have conversation on what he is tracking and looking forward to as we get closer and closer on our countdown to training camp. James, I know you and I have sprinkled in a little bit of from a viewership standpoint of the last couple of days where we can with Pacers Summer League, and we've yet to really get your pulse on the situation. I know you're heartbroken by how this segment leads off here, which is that I don't have all of the mathematical setups in front of me, but Pacers uh, postseason Summer League hopes in serious jeopardy after falling to the Thunder last night. They're now 2-1, and one, as are the Thunder. Top four teams make it into the semifinal round. So I, I know you're devastated. Did you know, by the way, that rings, confetti, trophies, the whole nine go to Summer League champions? I did. I found that out last year. Yep. I, I thought it was hilarious. But also, why not? People I mean, are hey. like, why give them rings? Why give them championships? Who cares? It's like... At the end of the day, basketball is a game, so if you can enjoy it, why not? And it's like the NBA is losing money by doing this. They're probably getting more money because they're 
advertising it better and pushing it out there more. But as far as the Pacers' chances go, I'm sure that they will be fine with removing themselves from the championship equation in Summer League if it means a playoff spot down the line. (laughs) And I say playoff, top six. Yep. Top six. And I mean, I was very, very impressed with Jairus Walker. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I'll get ahead of myself. Let's do it. Um, (laughs) If he can have that Draymond-esque role in his career, he can be a really, really good player for this team. Because if you look at his stat lines from the three games he's played, I believe, they all look so very different because he does a little bit of everything. And I love that about him. His defensive instincts are phenomenal. Really good athlete. And I think that's someone who can come in and you don't have to really force him into your system, but he can become a part in the system that helps you run things more efficiently because he's such a good passer, has good awareness, and again, just seems to make winning plays. I was very impressed with him for sure. We stress all the time, you can only take Summer League with a grain of salt. You can't overreact too I'm much. Overreacting. You can't underreact too much. I don't think you're necessarily as far as I thought you were going to go overreacting. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is an outline. If, if he was to have anywhere close to a, maybe not the success it needs to be guaranteed, but from a play style and a contributing standpoint of Draymond Green, yeah, I think a lot of Pacers fans would welcome that. But the other aspect of looking at rookies in Summer League is seeing them have success as you outline with Jairus Walker and you can see that whether it's just from looking at what he did from a stat sheet standpoint or by rewatching the games of being able to have success in a wide variety of different ways because you know going in at least from the scouting report yeah he's going to help things defensively and the idea of having the front court that's set up with Turner and Walker is very enticing to some people but you also like to be reminded of his passing ability and his fearlessness to to not be afraid to be a, a focal point within some of their sets out there in summer league the more you can see positive things it doesn't translate to elite level success out of the gate necessarily but it does make you look at it and say okay he's thriving out there in summer league with his peers at that age level or maybe a little bit older that enlightens you more on all right that this is at least a good foundation if you didn't already think that post-draft you now think that as a Pacers fan in theory between now and when training camp arrives yeah I think that Pacers fans the front office the team his future teammates when he actually joins all of them in a game should feel good about where Jairus Walker is, what he showed. I think you walk away from Summer League feeling better about that pick than you went going in. And I'm not even saying you felt bad going into it. It's just that you feel validated. You feel like, okay, what we saw during these workouts, when we sat down and talked to him, all this is kind of translating, at least for now, we're seeing flashes of what he could be, and that's what it's all about is what you could be because he's still really young. Obviously, there's some upside there, some things he has to go through, but I didn't think that he looked like a deer in headlights, for example. And again, their acts to do different things, so it's a little bit different for them, but he didn't have the Brandon Miller stinker, the Victor Women Yamba stinker where mm-hmm. you're like, man, are the lights too bright? What's going on here? But again, their acts to do a lot more and be sort of like – number one, number two guys on their team in Summer League, whereas the Pacers basically had a good portion of their real team out there with Andrew Nimhard and Benedict Mather and Isaiah Jackson and others. And so I do think that, again, he looked very comfortable out there, along with, 
you know, Isaiah Wong had some moments. Ben Shepard had some moments. And I think the Pacers collectively feel good about what they've shown in Summer League. And now it's all about finishing it out, although maybe without a championship, just healthy. We'll continue to monitor that and discuss it in depth in 2 o'clock hour with Tony East. But we'll stay within the ranks of the Colts when we return. Jake Arthur covers the Colts for Locked On Colts. Going to stop by. We'll get his overall thoughts on the Colts offseason to this point and how he feels about that landscape of running backs that appears to, again, be getting worse and worse as the seasons go by. Jake Arthur joins the Fan Midday Show when we return. Still here in the DriveHubler.com studio alongside Nathaniel Finch, Jimmy Cook. We got some more Colts talk coming up because, obviously, training camp is coming up. And I did buy my bucket hat yesterday. You got it? Yes. Are you repping a brand, a school of any kind? No, I just got a regular Nike black you didn't get Bucket that red hat. Indiana hat that I told you I about? I tell you, I'm thinking about it, though. Okay. I really am. Right. I think okay. one day when I want to just be funny and have a little fun, maybe I'll go out there and, and, and you know, just welcome the hate. I was in the real Bloomington, you know. So. I was in Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, goodness. No, not Bloomington, <laughs> Illinois. No, you no, sure? You no, sure? No, okay, no. just making sure. No. But we have the real Jake Arthur on the line who covers the Colts for Sports Illustrated, Locked On Colts podcast, all of the above. Jake, how you doing? Hey, hey, man. It's been a while. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming on. And as we were discussing, when we get down there to camp in a couple of weeks, it's going to be, I think, very intense because it'll be the first time Anthony Richardson is throwing in front of the Indianapolis public. And so for you, Jake, what things are you going to be looking for perhaps on that first day when it comes to him in particular? Yeah, I mean, we've obviously seen some shaky quarterback play in the past. You know, there was there was the summer where Carson Wentz was out and it was Jacob Eason versus Sam Ellinger. Uh, so... You know, he's he's not a polished passer quite yet. Uh, the chemistry's not there yet because he's a rookie. So I'm just kind of looking for improvement. Uh, you can you can speak to this as well. We, we've definitely seen the athleticism during OTAs and minicamp. Uh, I'm just – you obviously want to see that, but you want to see improvement as a passer. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be at least a couple guys that he syncs up with pretty quickly. Uh, but that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking for, and an ability to move the offense as well because – I mean, I think we know the defensive line is better, so it's going to wreak havoc. But you just want to be able to see some sort of cohesion and movement from the offense. Jake, I know you saw it because you mentioned it on Twitter as well, but Jim Ursay made the appearance on the Pat McAfee show the other day, and I had the same conversation with Mike Chappell that we're having with you now, which is I know you can only take with a grain of salt so much of what Jim Ursay makes public to the media, but as you were taking in those comments about how he – which I agree with, in order to get better, you need to have playing time available for Anthony Richardson. But as you look at that, how much, if anything, is there to take stake of, or does it change any of your outlook on where this quarterback conversation is going to be once training camp arrives? Yeah, so I I think their ultimate goal is for Richardson to be ready week one as the starter. Uh, I don't think they're going to force it. Obviously, if he doesn't look ready, then they're not going to do it. Uh, With that said, I I would expect him to have – a package of plays right away if, if, if he's not the starter week one. Uh, because they all have said, you know, you learn and, and get experience by playing. And that's really been – that was his knock in college. It wasn't that he was super raw. It was that he was super inexperienced for the most part. Uh, so I think they definitely want to get him out there. Uh, to start out training camp, I imagine the rotation is going to be pretty similar to how it was all spring. Uh, I think Minshew will get the – the initial reps with the first team, and then Richardson comes up after. 
Uh, something we've seen in the past is like someone will get basically like a whole week of practices as the first starting guy, and then the, the next quarterback will take the initial reps with the ones. I, I kind of feel like that's how it's going to be. Uh, and then by maybe like the, the third week of training camp, we might we might get a better idea of where the coaching staff is is analyzing this. I think by then we'll probably start to see a little more uh, maybe a little more definition in how the race is really going between Menchu and Richardson. I find that fascinating because I just feel like every step of the way there's going to be so much tension and Shane Steichen's going to be like, no, I don't want to give it, give any leash or, or any rope to any of those things. And so we'll see how it all plays out. But one thing I do want to touch on with you, Jake, is how do you see the wide receiver room just being healthy maybe giving us a better picture of what to expect with either quarterback. Because that was one of the things that we talked about. We were kind of standing there during OTAs and veteran minicamp. It was like, who's that catching the ball? And no disrespect to them, it was just like Alec Pierce wasn't out there for a couple practices. Pippen wasn't out there. Jelani Woods wasn't out there. So how much do you think that will help not even just us, but the Colts evaluate the quarterback position? Uh, I think that will be critical because you're right. It seemed like Pretty much everyone was out, and you include the running backs as well. Jonathan Taylor wasn't out there, Zach Moss. So it's really hard to evaluate from that standpoint. I think it affects Richardson a lot more because uh, Minshew throughout his career has been someone who is really efficient and takes what the defense gives him. Uh, so he doesn't necessarily need to lock on to like one big primetime pass catcher. He just kind of spreads it around anyways. Uh, I, I think – it definitely affects Richardson a little more, but they'll give him a grain of salt on that. I I think they'll probably center things more around the run in that instance, uh, assuming Jonathan Taylor is, is back and healthy. Um, but, yeah, that, that definitely hurts evaluation quite a bit because another thing is you don't really get to evaluate the offensive line as well. And then so if there's constant pressure coming and the offensive line is collapsing, and the normal pass catchers aren't out there, then it's super hard to evaluate. And then you almost have to rely on the preseason games rather than the practices. How much pressure, when you look at individual players on this Colts roster, is there on Shaq Leonard to not only have a productive season, but actually get on the field this year? And is there anybody outside of maybe the quarterback position that holds more of that strenuous circumstances and pressure around them than Shaq this year? Uh, yeah, it's pretty big with Leonard because if, if he's out, then you're looking at Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed as your primary linebackers. And this would be the biggest role that Speed has ever had to step into. Uh, and then after those guys, no one has extensive experience on defense. So it's it's pretty important that Leonard gets out there at some point. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on Kenny Moore as well because uh, this is such a young cornerback group now, and he's really the only one with – any sort of extensive experience. So if he's not performing at a high level or if he gets banged up or anything, uh, it could be pretty ugly defending the pass for the Colts. Uh, and then on the offensive line as well. Uh, the Colts kind of boldly went into this offseason doing the same things they did last offseason, kind of relying on a couple of guys to develop and be ready to be the starters. Bernard Ryman and Will Fries this year. I uh, went really, really poorly to start out last year. So they're taking a big gamble, not really putting a lot of pressure on those new starters now. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but the offensive line is going to be really critical because it just kind of lacks depth and is really reliant on a couple young guys.
you talked about the defensive backs. Could we expect sort of a bounce back year from Julian Blackman as well? I know we talked a lot about Kenny Moore, but I feel like Julian Blackman is also in a position where he's going into a contract year. He didn't have the best season last year, had some injuries, but now he's going over to strong safety. So how do you think he'll maybe embrace that role and potentially use it to prove that he belongs in Indy and has a chance to stay here after his contract expires? Yeah, for sure. I mean, his thing throughout his career, unfortunately, has been health. He, he's kind of he came in the league with the ACL and then had, had an Achilles. Uh, but for him, I think the switch to strong safety will really suit him well. Uh, now, he had a really strong training camp last year as the free safety. Uh, but I think when he's playing best is when things are in front of him, like what will be happening more often when he's at strong safety. Uh, he's really aggressive at attacking downhill. Uh, you see games like against the Titans, for example, he really rises to the challenge and wants to, to get dirty and, and, you know, get rough and, and stuff like Derrick Henry. Uh, so I think this will really fit. And we saw last year when he moved to nickel, when Kenny Moore was out, he played at a really high level. Uh, so I think for him it's pretty important uh, because Rodney Thomas, we've got to assume he's going to take a step up. Uh, just about anything for Nick Cross will be a step up. So Julian Blackman, there are guys there to replace him if he doesn't have a strong season when it comes to free agency. Uh, so this is big for him, but I, I think he'll step up to the challenge because, I mean, ag- again, health has been his issue throughout his career, not necessarily performance. So I think he'll be, I think he'll be good. Uh, he, you know, when he was in college, he played all over the secondary. So this really isn't going to be any, any new territory for him. I expect a big season as long as he stays healthy. You mentioned not a lot of changes to the Colts' offensive line and the the boldness to you know kind of trust what they have in house to hopefully have bounce back years and t- that Tony Browner Jr. is able to potentially get more out of them. What was seen last year, but another position group where there were a handful of changes. Jake Arthur, Sports Illustrated, locked on Colts with us here on the Fan Midday Show. There were a handful of changes that took place in the wide receiver room. Isaiah McKenzie coming in, the selection of Josh Downs, but in terms of where the top options are going to be in that room. Not a ton of big changes within where things are at with, say, Michael Pittman Jr. or Alec Pierce. As you look at that room, last couple years for me, it's like, well, look who's throwing the ball. We haven't really seen the true potential of that room. Do you see it that same way? And is there a likelihood for, for more balance and you know lack of excuses needed to defend this wide receiver room by the time we get to the middle of this season? Yeah, I I think it's going to be natural for those guys to kind of step up as long as the offensive line, you know, isn't as bad as it was to start last season. Uh, I think someone like Alec Pierce and and Jelani Woods especially, I think they really fit well with what Richardson did in college. Uh, Kind of sporadic when it came to his his short and intermediate accuracy, Uh, but he was really good at throwing downfield, and that's obviously where Pierce excels. Uh, but we saw that with Michael Pittman as well in 2021 with Carson Wentz. Uh, there was just really no pushing the ball downfield whatsoever last season. Uh, so assuming the Colts, especially under Shane Steichen, which has been a staple of his offenses throughout his career, assuming that's something they want to do, I, I think that fits pretty well with Richardson. Uh, and really Minshew as well. Like, like I mentioned earlier, he kind of spreads the ball around and takes what the defense gives him. Uh, but if you watch the Eagles last year, for example – He's not afraid to, to go downfield as well and give it to some guys who excel getting those contested catches. And Pittman and Pierce are, are a couple guys that really stand out in that area. 
Jake, let's take a look at, I think, a topic that will loom over the Colts until it's resolved, even more so than Pittman's contract, JT's contract extension negotiations. If you are the GM, put your GM hat on, what are you offering Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, so this one's tricky because obviously the whole running back market across the league is kind of muddy right now. Uh, But with the Colts and especially Chris Ballard, uh, positional value hasn't really been something that's been a huge issue. Like, they're willing to pay guys who play non-premium positions. You know, Shaquille Leonard and Quentin Nelson both play positions that you wouldn't necessarily say are cornerstone. Uh, So I think they want to get something done with Taylor. Um, If you think he resets the market, then that would probably look like $16, $17 per year. Uh, I think... If you can get him around 14 or so instead, uh, that's realistic. But it's it's interesting to see that they haven't got anything done yet because uh, the running back market, you know, your top three or so guys are making 14, 15, 16 million a year, and the rest are really around 10 million. So you've kind of got hard lines of, of where you might want to go. So I can't imagine it's going to go on too much longer. You know, I, I mean, Taylor's not someone who's been like hurt throughout his career and you know exactly what he can be when he's at his peak. Um, so if it were me, I'm not usually a big pay the running backs guy, uh, but I don't think this offense is going to be at its full potential and, and especially getting Anthony Richardson along and, you know, showcasing him to his fullest extent, unless you have Jonathan Taylor out there as well. Um, so considering the quarterback they just drafted, I would make the investment in Taylor. If they don't have an extension decided upon before the season starts, and let's say it never gets out publicly, but it's clear as the season rolls on that they're having him play through this contract before they make a decision, to me the likelihood increases tenfold of them using a tag next offseason versus a long-term extension getting done if they don't do what you think and I think and James thinks they ultimately will do, which is come to an agreement before things get started week one. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes sense. It's what we're seeing with Saquon Barkley right yep. now. And, you know, coming off such a night and day season from the year before, you know, had arguably the best season a Colts running back has ever had in 2021. And then just the whole thing kind of went off the rails last year. It wasn't necessarily his fault. The whole offense was, was bad. Right. But if they want to see, you know, what does the difference look like or – in 2023, does he look more like the best running back in the league, or does he look like he's lost a step? I understand if they want to see that one more year before making that investment, but I don't really think you're going to be dishing out like a five-year deal to a running back anyways. So I think it's probably smarter to go ahead and just get it done now, but you never know in this league. It, it, it seems like the whole league kind of makes these decisions together at once. And running backs are kind of the enemy right now when it comes to to contracts. Yeah, you bring that up. There was a story we talked about to open the show from ESPN.com by Bill Barnwell regarding what's happening with running backs right now. And you look at the collection of running backs that were moved on from from their prior teams, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Kareem Hunt, you could throw in there as well. And they've still all been unsigned. They are also all in that age range, though, of – 25, 26, 27 year olds that apparently once you hit that 27 mark, that's the new, you know, growing up when we were kids, 30 or over is where you really start <laughs> to get worried about running back. Yep. That's that's shifted now three years over time. How much 
does that benefit, if at all, Jonathan Taylor, at least in terms of a short-term deserved payday he deserves, if it's a three-year or four-year deal where he's still in that sweet spot right now as a 24-year-old? I know he has all the mileage from Wisconsin, but he's not quite in that gloom, doom, sky is falling area that 27-year-old running backs are in this league. Right, yeah, it, it does work to his benefit that he's still a little bit on the younger side. And so let, let's say it is just one more year and he blows up and has another 1,500-plus yards or 15 touchdowns, what have you, and looks like Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I think that's huge for him because then I think you definitely reset the running back market with him. You know, uh, right now for him, you know, the the contract is just going to be – you just don't know because obviously, you know, they haven't gotten anything yet. So yeah. you've got to think the Colts aren't like – dying to get this done right now um so honestly i do think it benefits him the most to have one year left and showcase what he can do um the colts if i were them i'd probably do it now because i think his price is only going to go up it seems more likely that he'll have a good year as opposed to a down one because the offense in general can really only go up and anthony richardson as a runner is, is quite different than matt ryan uh, so I think the the threat of Jonathan Taylor is a lot more potent now than than it is last year. James, I feel slimy and gross in being the team owner saying this, but if that happens, then you tag him. I mean, that's I, I hate to say it, but if, if that happens and you gamble that he's going to have a bad year and he has a great year, you could either reset the market, which I don't think that's a bad idea at all, Jake. I think you see teams do that from time to time. Or if he's asking too much money, there's the tag. Call Saquon, see how things are doing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tough. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got an agent now that is very familiar with clients who have reset the market. I mean, sure, Shaquille Shaquille Leonard with that twenty million a year at linebacker. I mean, same agent, so we'll see. And speaking of Shaquille Leonard, do you think that this is a potential prove it year for him because of the out that they have next year, where they could, in theory, release him if he isn't back to who he is. It will be an $8 million cap hit. You would save $12 million in savings that you can use elsewhere. And then you wouldn't have to pay the remaining, let's just say, 40 I believe. Maybe it might be more than that on his contract. So how do you view that as far as what this season means for Shaq Leonard and his future in Indianapolis? No, I mean, it's it's definitely got to be a prove-it year because it's, it's not like he's on a cheap deal or anything. He's making the most money of any linebacker, so... I mean, we just got off a season where he was only able to play in three games and only really completed one of them, but he was on a pitch count. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's huge because the money that he's being paid is just too steep to go forward not knowing how he's going to perform. And, you know, I, I think the fact that they allowed Bobby O'Karake to walk because of the money that Leonard was already making, um, that's very telling. You know, they, they – they just can't sit and wait forever, you know, as much as they would want to be patient and wait for him to return, you know, they just basically gave him a whole season of that. You you can't do it twice. Um, so hopefully for him, uh, he's able to get back on the field, whether he'll ever look like he used to in 2018, 2019, we'll see. Um, but yeah, unfortunately this is just kind of a messy situation where he's just making too much money not to play. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how he looks health-wise. I mean, I'm not going to put anything past Shaq, and I will say this, and we've talked about this, Jake. 
he cares about football so much. So he's not yeah. sitting out because he's pouting or he wants to retire or he thinks that, you know, he's made enough money. He wants to just rest on his laurels like that guy breathes football. And so I know it hurts him to not be out there and competing. But at the same time, like you said, you have to kind of look at it from sort of a cutthroat perspective. You're a team where it's about the team, your franchise in that future. But to move off of Shaq, I do want to pivot to maybe a more positive topic and maybe one that's a little more concrete. But who do you think, I would say besides Jelani Woods, because I feel like he's a good pick for a potential breakout year from a player on the Colts, who do you think that sleeper pick could be? Ooh, I like it. Uh, let's see. You're talking offense or defense, right? Offense or defense or special teams. I mean, if you think that, uh, okay. you know, Matt Gay is going to have a all-time <laughs> great season at field goal, you know, on, you know, make the most field goals in the league, which would not be a good thing for the Colts because you want to score touchdowns. But, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, so I think either Alec Pierce or Josh Downs are kind of easy choices. But I'll, I'll go on the defensive side of the ball. I think either Dallas Flowers or Darius Rush are really mm-hmm. going to stand out and really own one of those outside cornerback spots. I mean, we I think we can kind of pencil in Juju Brents and then Kenny Moore as two of the top three. But I think the other side of it is going to be versus Flowers or Rush. And Rush really had a great spring. You know, he had a great spring for the Colts before he left for the hamstring. Um I, I'm really intrigued by that one. I think both of those, they're both big, athletic, explosive guys. Uh, they've both got ball skills. I'm really interested to see those two go at it. And I think whichever one of them wins out, because they're both super talented, I think they'll have a big season. Because, I mean, outside of Indianapolis, expectations for either of them are, you know, they're probably non-existent. A lot of people don't know who they are. Uh, so I'm really intrigued to see which one of those two guys will step up. Whether the other GMs in the AFC South want to admit it or not, the Jacksonville Jaguars believe that they have the next iteration of a dominant coach and quarterback duo that the Colts had for so long during the Peyton Manning years with Manning and Dungy. And now in Jacksonville, it's Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence. And it's clear the rest of the South rightfully so, is chasing them. You saw that alone in the selections that were made in the early goings of the NFL draft. Three quarterbacks taken in division off the board. Exclusively with the Colts here, when you look at this season and what it could mean, in all likelihood, they're not going to challenge Jacksonville for the division this year. But what is a successful, we are keeping pace, we are not allowing a gap, the likes that we saw during the Manning days, everybody else in this division, to form? Yeah, so I think if the Colts, you know, win about seven or eight games, that's, you know, finish around 500, that's probably good. Because I don't have sky-high expectations. It's a really young team, and for once, I think it's it'll be good for them to just breathe and accept the fact that they kind of need to reset things a little bit. However, we like there's a difference between teams that aren't very good, there's teams that are competitive, but there are some times the Colts got on the field last year, you know, really last year and a half that were unbelievable to watch. Like just, they never even, it felt like they were never even prepared to get on the field. Uh, I think if they eliminate those performances where it looks like they do not belong playing against another NFL team and they're actually competitive with regularity and you see a lot of improvement from these young guys, cause they're going to have, they're going to have their bumps. Like, 
we shouldn't expect him to be a playoff team. Uh, some of these guys are going to make you know rookie mistakes, but does it look like they're getting better? Does it look like there's optimism? That's that's what I'm leaning on. I'm not saying it's playoffs or bust by any means because I think it's finally time for some patience. Uh, they, they finally did some self-scouting and realized they're not as far ahead as they thought. They don't just need one veteran quarterback to get them back to the playoffs. So I'm just kind of looking for them to eliminate those total stinker games, and I want to see improvement from the young guys. Jake, last one from me. Who's winning in a game of horse? You or Anthony Richardson? <laughs> Uh, well, I saw your video, and uh, I'd be pretty good at hitting the floor before Richardson ever left his feet. So I'm going to say that Richardson would be pretty good at horse. Now I can shoot, so in 21, it's him. It's him, no doubt. And horse, maybe I have a chance because I can shoot a little bit, but I can't do some of those things athletically that he can. So I'm I'm going to give it to him either way in the landslide. That's all right. I, I would have picked you, okay. I Two versus that. one. We, we'll, we'll, we'll take them down together. But um, <laughs> jokes aside, man, I'm looking forward to seeing you out at camp. Obviously, it'll be a great time and very exciting time here in Indianapolis for the Colts, or at least over in Westfield. So I'll see you soon, my friend. Absolutely looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jake. Yep. Again, that was Jake Arthur, covers the Colts for Sports Illustrated, Locked on Colts podcast. Make sure you subscribe to that. And um, he made some very good points. I, I love that I kind of forced him into the GM hat and you were pushing back because I think that's realistically what's happening I mean there's gonna be some give and take there and obviously there hasn't been enough on either side to come to a marriage of sorts both of these statements can be true (laughs) I want Jonathan Taylor to get a contract extension from the Colts this year want it to get done before the season starts because I feel like the Colts can be in an area where whatever you would pay him, you could find a solid middle ground where it's not total sticker shock, but it's also not underpaying him and, and he's able to feel like he's cared about by this team. But if you wait, if you do not extend him this year, and he has the type of year that I think we all think he's capable of, where it's close to the levels in 2021 where he's leading the league in almost every statistical rushing category. If that happens... I am tagging him. There's and he gonna tag you with a right hook. I understand he will, and I and I apologize for that, JT. You got me writing a story about assault. I, <laughs> I mean, you have all your bases covered. You, you you've you've seen pickup basketball games, and now you've seen you know just uh, physical violence is what we've reached now. But I mean, it, honestly though, because if he has the type of year that I think we all think he's capable of. And this offense looks as good as we think it could look. And his agent is who his agent is. What are you asking for for your client? Oh, yeah, that same deal that you were thinking about offering us before the 1st of September? Yeah, that's fine. We'll take that same deal. No, that's not what's going to happen. Yeah, I honestly see where you're coming from. Because I do think if an agreement isn't met before the season starts and he has an all-time great season, then no deal is getting met, I don't think. Because if I'm Jonathan Taylor, I'm asking for due to reset the market 17 18 million a year yeah and then if i'm the team i'm like well we still have your rights for the next two seasons or more than christian Three. McCaffrey, which would be what, 16 and a half 16.1 i was gonna say there, actually, but. <laughs> 16 and one dollar more but <laughs> i mean that's what we're going through right now and i think that's part of why this is such a tough position to be in and one that 
will only get tougher when days keep going by and this hasn't been resolved. Now, I appreciate them taking some time off while I'm on vacation. Don't have to worry about writing too much about the Colts just now. But if they would like to knock this out, let's say Monday or Tuesday, I'm all for it because I'll be back on the clock and I'll be handling business then. But jokes aside, I just think that this is something that will get messier the longer it lingers. And if you're getting in Saquon Blackie situation where you have a great season, and in his case, you win a playoff game first time in over a decade, and then you don't get that money. Like, how mad are you gonna be? Because that he, like Saquon, has to be very upset that he did what he was supposed to do, had a great yep. season, bounced back from mm-hmm. injury, and now he can't get the money he thinks he deserves. But as you're over there, like, kind of nodding your head, the league is set up where the owners are gonna win this 99 mm-hmm. percent of the time, and the GMs because they just have that power, that leverage to keep you. And so they don't want you anymore. When we come back, James had Jake wear the GM hat. I'm going to take James over to the Colts locker room, have him put on the Jonathan Taylor helmet because there's a hypothetical. I want to put him in JT's shoes there. And also, a quarterback that made the playoffs last year, a younger quarterback, at least from a national perspective, being called upon to finally have a productive season. Is it fair? Is it overcritical? And what might that same conversation look like three to four years down the line with Anthony Richardson? We'll dive into that when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd here at the DriveHumor.com studios. Daniel Finch with us as well. We tease a little bit going to break. Both Jonathan Taylor as well as a playoff quarterback from last year that is being called upon to... Such headlines as, is this a prove-it year or make-it-break year for one playoff quarterback? We'll get to that in a second, but resuming and potentially concluding for today our Jonathan Taylor conversation, you mentioned what Saquon Barkley was forced to do last year, which is bet on himself effectively and attempt to have a type of year that would command, you would think, a contract extension. Yeah, You mentioned he felt like he did everything right. He balled out. I would agree. And again, we're not privy to those negotiations of what was actually offered to him, but he's been pretty public on Twitter about what's capital, what's not, what's false and what's actually accurate in regards to those negotiations. He's retweeted, and you mentioned it before the show, that what someone had mentioned he had offered or received from the Giants was patently false. Again, we'll never get true clarity on that, but that's a prime example of a top-shelf running back that did everything right last year and he ends up on the tag. So just let's play this out for a second. You're Jonathan Taylor, and the negotiations before the season aren't where you want them to be. Whether it's from a year standpoint or a dollar standpoint, doesn't matter. They're not where you want them to be. But you know, and I've already mentioned it to you, I don't think that Chris Bauer has said what I've said, but in the back of his head, he's thinking this, we have a franchise tag if we need it. And you know they have a franchise tag if they need it. Are you betting on yourself knowing that even if you do everything right and have the perfect year, there's a nice franchise tag waiting for you at the end of it? Or are you taking a three-year security-based deal that might be a little less on the dollar amount than you wanted? This is player's perspective. You're worried about you and you making good. Nobody else. I think it's the latter. I would have to at least lean towards the long-term security. Now, long-term is still longer than a franchise tag now. In an ideal world, you'd want like a five-year deal where you're there. You know you're going to get this amount of money. But realistically, three or four years is probably the sweet spot for the length of the contract. And I would think that anything from 
12 to 14 million per year is probably in the range. But then as we've talked about, one of the sticking points, which we don't know, I don't know this, I'm just um, giving, I guess, an educated guess, not even educated guess, it's just common sense. The guaranteed money, I would imagine, would be a sticking point. Like we've talked about with every contract in the NFL, the big money, the money that gets reported, it's always like, wow, he's going to make this much money and he's loaded. But the caveat is always how much of it is guaranteed because, as we know, Jimmy, if it isn't a quarterback, there's not a very good chance, I would say. You know, I would say that it's maybe 50-50 if you even finish that contract out, if it's huge money as a non-quarterback. Usually when quarterbacks get those deals, they'll get every penny right up until the mm-hmm. end. For example, you know, Matt Ryan, his contract wasn't fully guaranteed, but it basically was until he didn't get the last bit of it. If you have a pulse, coach. you're going to get that money. Basically, but it's not that case with any other position. Right. And so if you're a JT, are you trying to maybe get, let's just throw this, three years, you know, $42 million, $45 million, whatever, but you want $30 million guaranteed. Like, will the Colts be okay with that? Like, guaranteeing that amount of money to him where you're basically guaranteeing $10 million a year. I don't know, but I do think that that will be a sticking point because this league is brutal, man, and at that position you're always one hit away, one rolled ankle away from, you know, having a great season, not having a great season, or potentially having a career injury and things like that. Don't want to get too like morbid about it, but I just think that it's a real thing. Because even last year, JT started off the year in Houston with a big game. We're like, wow, this guy is still really good. And then they gets the, he gets rolled up on in one of the other games, starts limping, and he's just not the same for the rest of the year. And it literally was a fluke play. It wasn't like he did anything wrong. And even when he came back and played, I, I believe I, I remember this play distinctly. I think it was against Washington. He comes back. He has this huge run against the Commanders, and this guy goes to tackle him, and he gets rolled up on very awkwardly after picking up a first down. And he's out. He's hurt again. And so you just wonder, for his sake, as much as we talk about him being great in 2021, how great can you be when you're always just one play away? And as a player, I would love to have that security where it's like I could just go out there and play and know that I'm not thinking about getting hurt. But even if it does happen, I have, let's say, $25 million to $30 million guaranteed money to my name. If you were tagged, and oh, let's just oh, say I'm it fighting. was this year, and I understand yeah. you're fighting, that it's, it's $10 million for a running back-ish right around there for a tag this year. Again, that number is going to change next year. If we even are in a conversation next offseason where there's no contract for JT and they have to make a decision of, are we tagging him or are we doing a long-term extension? Very rarely do you see multiple tags handed out, but they do happen, I mean, year-over-year basis. It'd be a 120% increase of the previous season's salary if a player is tagged back-to-back years. And then if it was to happen a third year, which again does not happen very often, but you can do three tags, you're looking at at least 144% of the previous year's salary. So that can be lucrative in one-year bunches for a player if you wind up being on the cap. But regrettably, for players in the NFL, I want you to guess, for this first part's easy, what do you think the highest-paid tag position is this season? If you were to get a tag at this position, you're making the most money. It's easy, I know. What's it? Quarterback? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to trick you. It's quarterback. Oh, quarterback, say, quarterback what, $32 million. Like, what do you think the lowest... 
tagged position is from a salary standpoint? Long snapper. I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, from a, a skill position or even like skill, one that, so let's, let's just say skill positions. I would say maybe it's maybe it's tight end or something. So tight end is eleven point three. Oh, I guess I should you. have I should have brought in this to pretty much anywhere on the field. Kicker and punter is five point three million yeah. if you were to get tagged. Just in front of them by another five million dollars is running back. Wow, I did not know that. See, that that kind of puts it in perspective. I mean, that, wow. that's, that's for the 2023 campaign. And again, wow. that that varies by a lot of yeah, different circumstances every year. I think it paints a good picture. At. Yeah, it paints it's a, good a picture. $9 million difference between a wide receiver tag cost and a running back tag cost into 2023, which again speaks volumes for where the positions have gone their separate ways, the fork in the road in terms of evaluation of those two skill positions and how wide receivers rightfully so are winning the day in today's NFL just from a tag standpoint so you get it and you understand a little bit why if we get to that point if you're Jonathan Taylor you would hate for that to happen but it stinks it is what it is it's a business there is no pathway to fight that though once the tag arrives you can be like Saquon and be grumpy about it eventually he's going to take a snap he will play you can't go like Le'Veon Bell and not do it because then financial penalties come your way, no money to begin with, and you're taking a year off from football. There, There's no escape. Yeah, I think – and I know Diana Rossini reported this for ESPN and was saying week one will be in jeopardy. I think that that is a good leverage play right now. But if I was a betting man, and as you all know, I'm not <laughs> – but if I was, I would bet on him playing by week one. Now, he might not be there for all the training camp stuff, but week one comes, I think he will be starting the backfield for the Giants, Yeah, having signed that franchise tag as disgruntled as he is because there's just too much to risk. And we talk about money so much that sometimes we can sort of dilute the amount of money these guys make. But even then... I don't think you're willing to risk losing a guarantee because that's what a franchise tag is. That's one benefit of it is guaranteed money. So you would be guaranteed $10 million this year versus sitting out, missing game checks, and then hoping that you get more guaranteed down the line. I just don't know how that will be working out for him. So, um, yeah, I think that Saquon's going to be out there and he's going to be available and – this will become something where he becomes sort of a case study. And even then, if you come out and ball out, guess what? They still have your rights and they could tag you again or reward you. But um, I don't think that there's much leverage for players in this situation. It's not the NBA. You're not Damian Lillard where you can just force your way out or you can force your way to a team or force a team to pay you more. Like This just doesn't happen at that position. And for those of you, as James mentioned there, that are fans that get lost or so just perplexed by, man, that's so much money. If I had $10 million or $12 million a year, I would be taking that, no doubt. I don't understand what the problem is. Ignore the dollars and cents and look at it this way. If you were a part of a collective unit in your work environment where, even though offense, defense is tough to quantitate, just to put it to the bare bones terms, where similar goals are being achieved by you and a coworker. And you saw a coworker get large financial security in the form of a raise or something like that. And you saw another coworker also get long term security in the form of a raise. And now it's your turn where you feel like it's your bite at the apple. Of course, I'm alluding to Shaq Leonard and Quentin Nelson here. 
and then it's not there, you're not getting that same level of love and security when you feel like you've worked just as hard and are as valuable to your group. That's what Jonathan Taylor would be feeling if we go down this path. And I don't blame him. Again, I'm not trying to paint good and evil here because it's a business at the end of the day. JT is not a bad person for wanting high-level money over long-term security. The Colts are not bad people for looking at this from a business standpoint and really deciding how much money you want to spend here. But the collective bargaining agreement is what it is. And at the end of the day, if the tag winds up being used, which we're still a couple of steps away from that actually being at play, but this isn't just, oh, it's July 13th, let's talk about John and Taylor. This is what James mentioned to us a couple weeks ago, which is, it's July 13th and we're talking about this because whether the Colts like it or not, it is going to be a storyline that is featured in training camp. The quarterback conversation will drown it out to an extent, but it's going to be there until something happens. Oh, guess who's going to be asking about that the first week of training camp? Yeah. Me, James Boyd, along with all of my colleagues, because that is yep. a story. Again, I do believe to your point that when Anthony Richardson starts throwing, that becomes A1 centerpiece. And for those yeah. who don't know, in newspaper businesses, the story that's on the front page is called A1. The centerpiece is obviously in the center of the page, above the fold. That's the big story. That will be Anthony Richardson every single day. Where's my videos, James? I oh need my, my Anthony Richardson video. Why and are you not showing a longer video of You them? know what? And I can finally fire it back to the fans and say, you send me videos. Because there's parts of training camp where we, the media, cannot film the practices sure. or what's going on. Sure. But people in the stands, you are free to do as you want to. You have Maybe those. they can send you videos. Then. Right. So, I'm, I'm, okay. not, you know, I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. You know, you scratch... <laughs> My back, I scratch yours, you know, a little quick pro code, but I mean, it's going to be a factor, as is Michael Pittman Jr. And I know we haven't talked about it nearly as much because it's a different situation, but again, I wasn't completely sold on him wanting to be here in Indianapolis when we asked him about it. Now, he didn't, you know, I'm not going to parse his words too much, try to sure. you know, read. But, I mean, it wasn't like he said, oh, I want to be here forever and this and that. He was kind of like, well, we'll see how it goes, the negotiations and things like that. I do think, ideally, he would like to get, again, financial security because you don't know. You're always one play away from yeah. your career being over, potentially. So maybe he does want that security. But part of him at least has to think, I would you know, uh, at least ponder, to be like, hey, what am I really worth on the open market? I haven't had a chance to prove myself with a consistent quarterback or someone who I can rely on at that position. So maybe I just play this year out and see what I'm worth because my position is a premium position and I know I could probably get, you know, top value, even though I'm not, you know, a top, top player in my position as is JT. Like I think Michael Hitman Jr. is a really good player, but I don't think that anyone realistically would say he's a better wide receiver than John Taylor is at running back as far right. as like their respective positions. Like I don't think that anybody would say that, but wide receiver is more important. And we saw it last year with the Jaguars. Christian Kirk, man. Like I I, I people were like holy overpay. I was I, I was on that boat because it's like what? I mean, and, and that's something where you look at a player like Christian Kirk, I know they're different wide receivers, but Michael Pittman Jr., like if he was to hit the open market Somebody would pay good money for him because wide receivers are highly valued. But you're right. It is a different conversation from the Colts with who would deserve more money and who means more at their position. Jonathan Taylor wins that battle. Yeah, absolutely. But 
he doesn't, doesn't always mean the dollars. Uh, doesn't come win out. the war, you yeah. know, when it comes to the money and obviously the financial security. But I am very, very interested to see how it all plays out. And then again, whenever we get a chance to talk to Chris Ballard again, Jim Ursay, these are questions that will come up. I know Jim Ursay is making his rounds on, um, you know, different. Uh, media outlets was on Pat McAfee's show, obviously, and he even alluded to some of the things we talked about. But um, it's a little different when I guess me and my colleagues are asking the questions because I will most certainly ask the questions sure. <laughs> that maybe aren't as uh, nice, but I, I think are very um, pertinent when it comes to the state of this team. That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Still to come, a conversation with Tony East. We'll see where we're at with time. If not, we'll push this conversation to 2.30. But a playoff quarterback last year, hasn't he already proved it? And is this a new way of observing where quarterbacks are at over a three- to four-year stretch? And how does that impact the Colts and Anthony Richardson? We'll discuss that more when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, here on the Fan Midday Show. We saw a headline yesterday that maybe raised some eyebrows just in terms of where I thought a quarterback was at and how maybe he is perceived nationally. It was a strong season a year ago that resulted in an appearance in the playoffs, albeit a horrendous collapse to the Jacksonville Jaguars, that by Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers. For Herbert, there have been some crazy out-of-this-world throws, and there's been some lowest of lows where it looks like, is he really a starting caliber quarterback? So I get it that it's okay to have these conclusions of, well, I need more consistency from him. But, I mean, the Chargers, two things against them. One, they've had their own injury issues, particularly in the wide receiver room, over the last couple of seasons. We all know about last season. (laughs) Two, they're in... They're, they're losing two games a year almost guaranteed with Kansas City. I'm sorry the national media uh, can continue to say. Bias, Chiefs fan. No, it's, yeah, it's, there, it's there, is, there is some bias, but you wait. It's already happening on NFL Network. The Chargers are probably going to win the AFC West finally after they've uh, making that same prediction for the last 10 years. Yeah. I digress. 10-7 and seven a year ago, they make the playoffs uh, just under 5,000 yards, a high incompletion percentage for Justin Herbert, 25 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. This is year four for him, James. Is it fair to be throwing out the thought that hey, he needs to prove it to us this year? And if that is fair, what do you need to see from him? Win the division? Win, win a playoff game? What do you need to see from Justin Herbert? Because first time in the playoffs was last year, and again, they have a collapse of the Jaguars of epic proportions. I don't think it's as crazy as people are trying to make it seem. Because if you look at his career, man, this dude has been really good. Mm-hmm. Throughout his first three seasons. Last year was a quote unquote down year, and it was 25 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 10 and 7 playoffs. So I think we look at them totally different had they won that playoff game. And we'd be looking at him in the light that we look at with Trevor Lawrence, like, oh, are they the team on the rise mm-hmm. or are they contending? So um, I think that everyone has to kind of pump the brakes. I think that they're, they should be all in on him because even if he isn't a top five quarterback, I still think he's in like that seven or eight range. And in my opinion, that's probably good enough to get you at least in the dance. And after that, you kind of let the chips fall where they may. So I'm not like hitting the panic button, the eject button and saying, oh, he's not a guy. He's not the guy. Like people get spoiled with the Patrick Mahomes of the world. They get spoiled with Joe Burrow. They get spoiled with Josh Allen, where it's like every year you're a top five guy. 
it's okay if you're not because you're still really good. Like, there's a lot of teams in the NFL I know just in a vacuum would prefer Justin Herbert over whatever quarterback they have. No doubt about it. And so, again, I'm not panicking about him. I do think he has to show something this year. But it's not nearly like as much as like, okay, if he doesn't show me anything, then they're out on him. As I would say, for example, like Justin Fields, yeah. where they've invested all these things. I think that they, the goal for them, and it falls on their coaching staff to an ownership they just have to get to the playoffs and win a game, I think. I think that's the next step. You cannot come back this season and miss the playoffs or get there and lose again after the meltdown you had last year where you had just a truly unbelievable meltdown mm-hmm. that every single thing that you could do wrong in the second half of that game, they did. I remember thinking to myself, wow. Yeah. You, like, you think the Colts felt bad? After they blew that lead at Minnesota, biggest lead in NFL history, whatever, whatever, and I get it. But that was a regular season game. Yep. And for a team that wasn't going anywhere anyways. There was still a tomorrow, Yeah, unfortunately. But, you know, in the NFL, it really is. It's more so yep. and why I enjoy it. It kind of gives you not to the same degree of like a March Madness, but that's, there's that survive and advance mentality where if you just win a game – you never know what could happen in the next one. Yep. Now, obviously, you have to have a guy that's good enough to get you there. And I think that Justin Herbert is good enough to get you to like a conference championship game. Sure. But you want to just get there and give yourself a chance. And that means at least winning a game. And then again, seeing where it goes. Because so much can change. I can go back and look at a bunch of games like, you know, if... Huntley last year doesn't extend the ball and the Ravens beat Cincinnati. How much differently do we look at Joe Burrow and the Bengals? Now, again, it's all if, ands, and buts and all that type of stuff. But, again, I would just say don't panic too much. He's still a really good quarterback, and I would still have him top seven, top eight. I want to bring this full circle to the Colts, but we'll have to do that at the 2.30 segment because there are some parallels to potentially draw with how these observations have been made in year four Mm. and what you can expect with Anthony Richardson as you're looking from afar over the next couple of seasons. But we'll go back to the Pacers, one of our favorites. Tony East covers the Pacers for SI.com. We'll get his takeaways to this point from Summer League when we return on the Fan Midday Show. Welcome back, Fan Midday Show. Tony East is going to join us here in just a little bit. T. East NBA. (laughs) <laughs> so I'll take it behind the curtain for just a second. And this is my fault too, because I didn't say anything about it, but as a still active producer, we have Tony East coming up here and I was looking at Nathaniel with one of these and he thought I was telling him to hang 10, but I was actually trying to say, is Tony on the line yet? And then you could see his realization as I welcomed in Tony East of, Oh, we need Tony. He'll be with us momentarily, but there is few things in the world outside of silence in a radio room that will draw you more panic as a producer of what just happened there because it's happened to me been there many a time is there anything like that from the journalism side of things where if this happens it's just your straight panic mode i think it's if you are the rookie who i haven't done this in years but if you just don't save something and you click something and it's gone 
Oh, Lord. I haven't had that stress on me in years. It takes you back to like college days, like having a long paper. And yeah, just not they teach you on. not to write like directly in the system because if the internet messes up or something. Sure. So I am a Word doc guy to this day, and I will always transfer it over. It might not be my final version in the system, but if all goes crashing down, I have sure. you know my words because Lord, <laughs> Lord knows, like, man, that is that is some scary stuff right there. Tony East NBA joins us. T East NBA on Twitter. Tony East taking some time with us. Talking all things Pacers and Summer League. Before we go there, Tony, from your perspective on your day-to-day, what, if anything, makes your brain go into straight panic mode of, oh, no, I've made a mistake, or, oh, no, this happened. I I need to adapt and fix this on the fly. Uh, I write in the system, James, so I I live on the edge. Lord, have mercy. Don't do that. Don't. I'm like stressed for you. Don't do that. <laughs> so I, I use Google Docs to, to copy edit. And uh, I was panicking up like one time because I accidentally deleted a full story. I had to go back into an old Google Docs form to find it. But thankfully it was there. It was all good. Um, anytime a push notification comes on social media that just mentions the Pacers, I just panic because it means I'm going to do immediately start working, <laughs> even, though, even though it could just be nothing. That would be my panic thing. Yeah, I mean, I've shared mine. Like I said, it's the same thing that, that that happened here in this segment. I've just I was so locked into what we were doing, and then it's like, oh man, I got to make that phone call. It's like, oh, we're, but hey, we have Tony East as expected, <laughs> and Tony, as we shift back towards normal day to day operations, James and I talked about this a couple segments ago, but with where summer league is at and the observations that we're taking away from it at this point. Jarris Walker. I don't want to label as good as advertised, but if Build you're looking a for a locked-in bright spot statue incoming, uh, it's Jarris Walker, no? Oh, I would definitely say as good as advertised. He's been awesome. I mean, even last night, he had a rough first half and was really good in the second half. And the thing that impressed me last night, this happened with Matherin last year, too. It's like the first couple games, right, all the returnees are playing and they're getting their reps and touches. And then when they go away, the rookies get the ball more. And last night you saw Point Jarris for a couple possessions where he's like running four or five pick and rolls and doing all this stuff. And, hey, that was sometimes awesome and sometimes awful. But the fact that it was sometimes awesome, I think, should be encouraging for the Pacers that it wasn't just a total disaster because they have some faith in his ability to, to handle the ball and pass. And his defense has just been ridiculous. Like the dude is blowing up every third play. It feels like with his hands or with his size. So to me, all the stuff you would have hoped Jarris Walker could do or would do in summer league between the defensive upside and the shot creation, just handling the ball in general has all kind of happened and uh, as advertised and more to me. And I think that's been super encouraging for them. And he's been uh, the guy that I think is the most worthy of discussing from summer league, even though a lot of the returnees were, you know, as expected or better than expected. We've talked about how athletic the Pacers are with the addition of Obi Toppin. Obviously, they have Isaiah Jackson who can jump out the gym, Benedict Matherin. But I feel like there's going to be some Jairus Walker highlights on both ends because he is really perhaps more athletic than I thought, you know, just seeing it on video in an NBA sort of setting. Now, we know it's not the real NBA. It's Summer League, but... A couple of those blocks, Tony, we just obliterates the ball. I'm like, wow, like, how did that happen? So when you were out there in Vegas, did it feel like it? Did it feel like those were like momentum swinging moments where one play could kind of change the tenor of the game? Yeah, it did. And the funny thing about his athleticism is I think it's more surprising to me because he doesn't have the build of an athletic guy. Like he looks like, like Chad Buchanan said, he looks like a linebacker. And like, I agree with that. His shoulders are huge. He's wider. He. He has that football player type build, but he can jump 
stuff at the gym. And I'm here on uh, July 13th to coin them the Showtime Pacers this season because Ooh. with Halburn's passing and all these athletic dudes, they're going to be a highlight factory, it feels like, at times. This season, and Jarris is, is certainly adding himself to the mix. Like, some some of the rim rockers he had last night, he had one off a pass from Isaiah Wong. That was sick. Like, it, it's just, I you know, you, you kind of saw that at Houston, but not as much as I think we've already seen at Summer League. And it's not something that I, like, thought was an advertisement for him when he was in the pre-draft process is his athleticism. But certainly, like, you can't be as good on defense as he is in terms of rotating and timing unless you are athletic and quick enough to actually make rotations and be in the right spot. So even though it's not, like, the thing everybody thinks of when – they talk about Jarris Walker and what he could be for the Pacers. Certainly showed off a lot of that uh, in these couple games. Yeah, he was balling out. But aside from him, who I don't even know if he's going to play every single summer league game because we're starting to see some of the better players kind of taper off because they've shown enough to their management or whatever. For my viewership, I would love to see him keep playing. But <laughs> how important do you think these moments are for the other guys that are draft picks, you know, Isaiah Wong and Ben Shepard to continue to get reps and just get comfortability in an NBA setting? Yeah, getting reps and getting reps together, right? I think that's the biggest part of the re- returning players. Obviously, them getting reps and looking better is important, but like for Nemhard and Matherin and, and Isaiah Jackson, getting to play with the rookies was was valuable, and, and helping them kind of grow into summer league was important. And now, like I, this evolved throughout all of summer league. Like I just talked about it with Jarris Walker. I don't I don't think he'll play all five games. Uh, James, you were there last year. Matherin didn't play all five last year, correct? Like no, they, yeah, it's just they don't they don't typically do that. So these rookies keep seeing their role expand, right? Where they can get more reps. We just saw Isaiah Wong become the starting point guard last night after coming off the bench the first two games. And he looked pretty good. He was probably their best creator for, like, the entire game and made seven shots and, made like, looked pretty solid. And, you know, Ben Shepard had a good game and a bad game and a bad game. Like, what's he going to look like when his role is bigger and Jairus is done? All that kind of stuff I think is really valuable for these guys that their role is dynamic and changing from game to game and uh, that they're playing with different guys, building chemistry with different guys who may or may not be on their team this coming season. But, like, I don't think Walker's going to play all five. I don't know about Shepard and the, and the two-way guys, but, you know, their role will expand. They'll get more chances going forward. I think that's really valuable for them to just kind of see where they're the most comfortable because Shepard looking his best as like an off-ball shooter, for example, playing with the best guys on the team in that second game is certainly what you'd hope he could be if you're the Pacers in his best setting, whereas if he's like asked to create shots, you're not going to expect as much from him. So you'll still learn a lot about them, but I think that's kind of the value of these later games coming up. Tony East with us, covers the Pacers for SI.com. Tony, I apologize for this to be a deposition-style question to lead off, but just to get a baseline (laughs) here with you, yes or no, you are in the camp that we can't really overreact or overreact one way or the other negatively or positively to Summer League. Are you in that camp? I am definitely in that camp. I think Summer League's about skills, not uh, impact. If you remember how good Chris Dunn was in Summer League, that's all the evidence I need to present on either side. <laughs> okay, so shifting towards a larger, I like how you brought evidence into it. I appreciate that. Uh, you, you can have your defense rest and any other uh, puns you want to throw in there. But for the Pacers and Benedict Matherin, it wasn't great at times. And I get that the goal probably of him for Summer League was not only to you know get some summer minutes in there, and it had been quite a long time since we've seen a number of Pacers dating all the way back to April on a basketball court, but it was clear they wanted him to, to run and dictate the show at times when he was out there, and the returns weren't ideal, at least from a efficiency standpoint and flow of the offense standpoint. I don't want to overreact one way or the other either, but from your vantage point, 
Is that concerning? Is it nothing? Or were there actually real positives there that you saw from his time at Summer League? The positives for me were his defense, if I had to start there. Like, I think he defended better, and he had some good pick-and-roll defense moments, especially with Jarris, which I thought was noteworthy for the Pacers. Yeah, of course, he was, what was he, 4 for 16 in the second game and 9 for 21? I should know that. Uh, in the first game, the efficiency was, was not good, and I think a, part of it was that he was forcing it, right? Like, he would drive into three guys consistently and still aim for his shot and instead of passing, and that was certainly – That was the most concerning, if I had to say concerning. That would be the most concerning thing to me is the thing I was looking out for the most for him in Vegas was can he show a little bit more passing on the offensive end? Because, you know, like obviously he's a scorer. I don't think anyone expects him to be a passer for the Pacers this year. But it changes the way you're guarded if you can, like, create a good shot for your team in multiple ways when you have the ball. And my evidence would be the games we saw him play because the other team was like, oh, he's going to shoot, and there's four seconds on the shot clock. Let's send three guys to this guy, and all of a sudden he can't do anything. And in the second game, he had six assists. And, the, you know, the, I think the the number is good, the, the style of those assists. I want to say five of them were either, like, dump-offs in the lane or extra passes. And that is still, like, they're not like he's creating the shot, but that's still really valuable for him to have to me is, to know that, hey, if you swing to the corner, like the shot's going to be better. Or like, hey, if you drive and you're cut off, that means the big man right next to you is wide open. Like that is stuff that I think he needed to be working on. So to see that in the second game I thought was good, even though for a lot of the time I think you're right that you know it felt like the efficiency wasn't there and it felt like he was certainly forcing it into traffic sometimes. And sometimes that's his best skill, right? Like getting to the line as much as he did as a rookie is unheard of. I think that bodes well for his future that he's willing to – attack and draw contact in that way. But I still think there's an element of decision-making that he has to work on that he didn't really show out in Vegas, even though in second game some of that passing was a little bit better. Somebody asked me this earlier in the week, Tony. I want to propose it to you. For this team to be successful, not just this coming season, but knowing they were successful with drafting and, and establishing via trades with Tyrese Halliburton, this core, what does Benedict Matherin need to be? Because for me in a perfect role with where they drafted him and what he could potentially be. He's the second or first player on this team, depending on who you want to crown as that. I'd say Tyrese is probably that in a in most conversations. But either way, even if it's 1A, 1B, you need him to meet Tyrese somewhere. And you look at the, the great, successful duos that are playing off of one another, even in today's NBA, whether you want to you know, look at roles that are accepted with someone like the Miami Heat, where it's Jimmy Butler clearly running the show, but there are people that he can rely on, or you go out with the Nuggets, and yes, Jokic is an animal and a, you know, a point center, if you want to call him that at times, with his passing ability, but Jamal Murray knows where he needs to be and is valued just as much in terms of just being another playmaker. It's a long way of asking you, what does Benedict Matherin need to be in this Pacers rebuild in order for it to have worked? Yeah, just as zoomed out as possible from like an impact perspective, I think looking at the Nuggets is a decent assembly just because Jokic is obviously amazing, but he sets their whole identity. Like they play their whole style around the way he plays, around the things he's good at on both ends. And I think the Pacers are leaning into that with Halliburton. And, you know, they've made that very clear this summer with, you know, the addition of guys who thrive in transition. And, you know, I joked about the Showtime Pacers thing, but like they're going to run and be thrilling when Tyrese Halliburton has the ball. And so can can Matherin like hit the Jamal Murray tier of player where he can be like when Tyrese Halliburton's not in the game, he can be the creator or the scorer or 
just a, a typical tone setter type. And, you know, he, he definitely has the abilities to score. Like we saw it last year at his best, especially he was really great, but you know, he, his defense isn't quite good enough, to like lead lineups quite yet. And, and obviously I don't think Murray's is either, but he fits in a little bit better with some of the stuff the Nuggets do. And he can shoot and pass and Matherin can only kind of do either of those things. So he's definitely going to have to get better at more like, team-oriented skills beyond his scoring if he wants to be that second guy because then he can play a lot better with Halliburton even though I think they paired pretty well last year and he can lead the team and he isn't in the game for a few minutes which I think is just as important if you're looking for that kind of 1A, 1B partnership. I do think he's the best candidate on the team to be that guy uh, as it stands right now and for, for that to happen it's just got to be adding other non-scoring skills. Right? And I think he knows that. He always talks about wanting to be the best two-way player in the NBA and that's going to take a lot of defensive growth and especially on the team defense front. And that's going to take some shooting or passing growth, likely both. So he's got a ways to go. Like, I don't think that's going to happen this year at all. Um, but that, that's the kind of player type or facsimile I would make for him. There's going to take a lot of conditioning as well. Because whenever I think of two-way players, yeah. I'm like, man, the best ones. Like, mm-hmm. Kobe was in tip-top shape for like a decade plus. But, you know, that's just my two cents on the matter. But I do think – one of the players that we haven't really talked about that much because, you know, of the Tyrese extension, the draft picks, the additions of, you know, free agents, Miles Turner, where does he fit into all of this from your perspective, Tony? I think, think Miles Turner had a great summer, James, because he's not in trade rumors for the first time in, in five years. Don't let the Lakers years. hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Lakers fans. <laughs> But he's got to feel, like, refreshed almost. And the the on-court thing I think that was good for his summer is they didn't add any other centers, and the guys they did add really, like, add to what he does, right? Like, he won't have to do everything on defense this year like he had to at times last year because, like, there, there's a credible lineup the Pacers can put on the floor of, like, Nemhard, Walker, Neesmith, and, uh, I don't know, Bruce Brown, right? Where it's like, that's five good defenders, and that's a lineup that makes sense, and all of a sudden Turner's, like, not overburdened, and you can actually do good things with him. And at the same time, on the offensive end, there's no one who's going to replace what he did last year, so he's still in a good position to be a good pick-and-roll and and pick-and-pop threat and be around the ball more often, be be a useful screener. Like, I think Walker might take some screen opportunities from him, but I don't think that's Obi Toppin's game necessarily. So I think Miles Turner's in a great spot. The summer was, I think, probably good for him mentally and, of course, like I just said, like all the on-court fit stuff, like of course we're going to talk about Tyrese Halliburton with all that because and he's the partner with the franchise. He just got $260 million. He's the best player. But a lot of the fits also go well with Turner. And you know the fact that the team was so good when both Halliburton and Turner played last year, the fact that they're now better around those two guys, I think is important. And you know Turner's not going into a contract year anymore. He's not extension eligible. He's not on the trade market. Like It's weird that that was like all the conversation around him since they got Sabonis <laughs> starting five, basically. Like five years ago, so uh, this had to be such a refreshing summer for him, and I think it's good that he's in such a good situation now going forward. I'm not going to put you completely on the spot, but I do want to know if the Pacers are a playoff team next year, like clear cut top six team. Is it out of the realm of possibility? Because I would assume that Tyrese Halliburton has made a second All Star appearance. Is it out of the realm of possibility for Miles to at least be in those conversations if? they have the season that they're plan on having where they're in playoff contention and they're hoping to kind of get back to what it means to to have postseason basketball here in Indianapolis? Yeah, it's possible Tyrese is just good enough and that Bruce Brown's a good enough addition that they just are naturally better enough with like very little internal growth. But I would imagine if they're 
firmly a playoff team, like you just kind of said, that it means that Turner was just as good again. Like you need that center play for a full regular season. And the last time he was at that level, like uh, that the beginning of two and a half seasons ago now, um, the first year of Carlisle, like he had the 40-point game in the second game. He was probably in the mix. Like when I wrote about the Pacers potential all-stars that year, I included him because he was playing well enough. And then he got hurt and, only played 42 games that year, and they traded their whole team. But I think it's possible he gets into that mix for sure. I don't think he ever will be one. Um, just like he doesn't have the game that is typically thought of in that way, which is kind of a lazy way to describe that. But uh, I don't think he ever will be. But I think that if like this could be a great year for him to be in that mix, given what the Pacers roster is. And you know, typically the narratives are more positive surrounding teams that are exceeding expectations. So if they are a playoff team, I think he could certainly get a, get into the discussion this coming year. Tony East with us, covers the Pacers for SI.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East. Tony, when I'm scouring the latest trade rumors and Toronto's name comes up, I had thought it was Pacers <laughs> and OG and Anobi being the connection there. But apparently this week, uh, they're in on the Pascal Siakam sweepstakes, perhaps. You mentioned a summer of ease for somebody like Miles Turner, and he's probably still fine anyway with that. But in a world where the Pacers are maybe acquiring Pascal Siakam, hypothetically, how would that fit, and how legit is this in your mind, or is it just off-season chatter? Uh, great fit. Really great player. I, I don't think people like understand Pascal very much because the Raptors were super boring last year, but like he's six foot nine, made the All-Star team, and played the three all year next to Scotty Barnes and whatever random center the Raptors happened to start that night um like that that if he could play the three for the Pacers his skills his creation his defense his size like he'd fit really well with what they do from a zoomed out perspective you know the question is and I think everybody kind of knows this is the question is if he's only a one-year rental like how much is that actually worth what would that actually look like because the trade would be tough to come up with if it is just a rental and you know given his salary at nearly 38 million this coming season like, one of Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, like, has to be in the trade, like, just from a salary perspective. I'm not not even just, like, from a, a value perspective. Like, you have to match salaries. Like, one of them is going to be there. So, coming up with the value beyond that player is really tough. Like, if it's just one year of Pascal Siakam, is it, you know, that guy, another vet, a young player, and two firsts? Is that too much? Is it just that, that, that salary piece, one more salary, and a really good young player? I don't know what Toronto wants or if this is even a real thing. Uh, as for the Pacers' interest level specifically, like, yeah, I think there's some. I think a lot of teams have some because he's really good, um, and and I think that's the case. But if he's not willing to commit long-term, I don't think that any team's going to have a ton of interest. And, you know, Chris Haynes of uh, TNT and Bleach Report put out right after the draft that the Occam's group is, like, sending signals to other teams that he's not going to resign. Like, he wants to stay in Toronto. He wouldn't resign anywhere else. So that certainly seems concerning if you're a team trading for him, right, unless you – are comfortable with the price anyway. And if you're the Pacers, if you're only getting them for a year, like you're not winning a championship this year. So you have to be very careful with that price. So I think he's a great player and a great fit. And if they could get him for two, three, four years, yeah, they should be willing to give up quite a bit for him. And I think they'd have a lot more interest if they knew he was willing to extend. In the absence of that, though, I think it's a really hard trade to come up with from a value that makes sense for the Pacers and the Raptors. I got Jimmy over here laughing because he said the Pacers aren't going to win a championship. I made a face. YouTube chat saw it. Yes, you don't know the future, Tony East. You know they said that about the Miami Heat getting to the finals last year, but who ended up there? People called the Raptors, or, yeah, the Raptors crazy when they went and got Kawhi Leonard. Is Pascal Siakam not the same player? He's not. But I mean, come on, Tony, dream. 
<laughs> but you know, I would like to see the last team that jumped from thirty-five wins to the finals. But hey, you know what, you guys. You guys can uh, breathe in the. the you, you might get to see it. Who knows? Right, exactly. <laughs> Very optimistic in, in in my neck of the woods. But Tony, when you look at just where this team is compared to a couple of years ago, and you had a chance to talk to Kevin Pritchard, you know, after the, the few of the signings and announcements that have happened in recent weeks, but how do they feel just knowing they have an identity now, and that's kind yeah. of what they struggle with for you know, the last few years. Yeah, the Brogdon, Levert, Sabonis teams were just so identityless, right? Like, and I I, talk, I I feel like I talk about that almost too much, but just like, there was a day at practice, I asked Brogdon and Levert both on the same day what they thought the identity of the team was, and they gave me, like, different answers. And they weren't like, neither of them said anything that I thought was wrong. I just, like, you know, if it's not, like, abundantly clear what your team's identity is, then that, that's concerning, right? And that team wasn't very good, and they – got rid of everybody, and now it's very obvious that their identity is this up-tempo team that's going to whip the ball around and play random actions and be impossible to scout, and that, that, that worked really well for them last year. And so I think that is a breath of fresh air, and it's been funny to see how that's kind of influenced with the, how the front office thinks because, you know, last year at the, you know, they said in the offseason, like, yeah, we're, we're thinking long-term now, right? The short-term thinking was fine for a while. We had a lot of making of the playoffs 25 times in 31 years, but – didn't lead us where we want to be, and now we're going to think a little longer term. And lo and behold, in the first year of doing that, you know, it goes a little faster than they thought. They already have an all-star and an identity, and so all of a sudden you can think a little quicker and accelerate your timeline a little bit, which they did this summer. So I, it's been funny to see their thinking evolve as their team has evolved, but getting an identity is hard. Like, that's one of the harder parts of, like, getting a talent, talented players is, of course, important, but if they don't fit or if it doesn't make sense or there's not – a way that they're going to obviously shine every game. It's still tough to win. So not only do they have a young, talented player, they obviously have an identity. I think that's really important because they can build that way for the next six years now, right? Like they can acquire players who fit that style until 2029. Like that is unheard of in the NBA these days. So I think that, yeah, it's it's crazy how kind of fast it's happened and how much their thinking has kind of had to change given the speed of the changes of the team. But at the same time, I think it's great for them that they – finally, after years of kind of floundering in that way, have an identity in a way that's clear how they want to win every game. Tony, last thing on my end, for you, as you zoom out and look at this Pacers roster and you see all the moves they've been able to make, it one of them being, of course, Obi Toppin's arrival. And I know we saw his comments, you know, in regards to how he felt about where things went in New York and then the opportunity in front of him right now. But when you look at where this roster is at... It, is this finished? Is this a complete product? Or are there still moves between now and training camp? Not just simple cuts or two-way deals being handed out, but trades, perhaps. Not not even Pascal Siakam high-level <laughs> trades, but just movement amongst the roster. I definitely think it's possible. Like They've got good players or valuable, at least, players on the team that like might just straight-up not play, You know, given the, the number of guys they have at the two and the three, you know. Buddy Heald, Bruce Brown, Ben Matherin, Andrew Nemhard, Tyrese Halliburton. Like, all those guys are going to play. So how is Aaron Neesmith going to play? Or if Aaron Neesmith plays, then Andrew Nemhard's your backup one. Then how's T.J. McConnell going to play, right? Like, that seems – like, they're both good dudes, and they'll both be good vets and not have a bad attitude. But, like, it seems like they'd have more value to another team than the Pacers. And so maybe there's something to be done there. Or, you know, Jordan Wara, like, he's behind Toppin and Jarris Walker now. Like, is he going to play? Is there a role for him? And they have three backup centers in – Tyson, Jackson, and Smith, and now there's no minutes at the four, even, for, like, Smith and Jackson, like there have been in past seasons, so they can't all play. It's like, they're all, like, valuable to the Pacers and in the right spots, and they've 
invested time or money into all these guys. Like, it makes sense why they're still on the team, and you definitely need injury depth to some extent. But they just have a lot of guys who it feels like are, are a little bit going to have a little bit smaller of a role than maybe they deserve or they've expected. And so that kind of makes me think there are some smaller moves they could make with some of the names I just said if they wanted to. I think Jake Fisher of Yahoo reported last night that the Suns have interest in T.J. McConnell in some capacity. I don't even know what that would look like. But, uh, you know, like those kind of names, I think the ones that if there is another move to, for the Pacers to make and the DeAndre Ayton stuff happened in, you know, I think July 15th last year. Like moves, the, the NBA is not done, certainly. Uh, so I don't know if they're done or not, but there's cert- those are the names that I would look at as, you know, maybe there's some, some future things for the team to consider with those guys. Tony, I'll be remiss if I did not mention the Indiana Fever, who have two All-Stars who will play in Saturday's game. Just saw that Kelsey Mitchell will be in the three-point contest Friday, I believe. Or actually, no, I'll take that back. Is that today? No, it's Thursday. It's Friday. It's Tomorrow, Friday, Friday. Okay, gotcha. And so um, what do you think that says about the direction of the team to have two All-Stars and what needs to maybe shift for them to sort of show up more as a team in the win-loss column and get some of these wins? you got to love the three-point contest announcement coming uh, one day before the event. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, their, their top players are great, right? Kelsey's been, Kelsey Mitchell's fantastic. Aaliyah Boston is one of the best 10, 15 players in the league, and she's played 20 games. Like, they are clearly headed in a good direction as a result of getting Boston in the draft and Mitchell having less ass the first. She's way more efficient this year than she's ever been before. They just – they're a young team. Like, their head coach, Christy Sides, is always talking about the number of players they have were in their first or second year. I believe that number is now seven. At one point this season, it was nine. So, it, you know, it's a lot. And so young teams are generally inconsistent. And this is the boring answer, but it feels like just as they get more mature and more reps together, they'll just be better and more consistent because you can really see it, James. You know, I know you've been there. Their late-game situations is where they're the worst, and that's generally where, you know, teams that have been there, done that, are, are at their best, and the Fever really haven't had that yet. So they have the talent to be better. They're in a lot of games, which is way more than can be said of them in past seasons, but they've got some inconsistency in late-game stuff they've got to clean up. Well, I'll tell you what, I put a Leah Boston in three-point contest after her shot yesterday. <laughs> it's just my two cents. But that's Tony East, covers the Pacers for SI.com, covers the Fever for, I believe, Next Hoops and some other outlets as well. So, um, you know, great having you on, Tony. We'll talk to you soon. You got it. Thanks, guys. Always good to catch up with Tony. And he mentions a lot of good stuff there. But in particular, when you're looking at the balance between Summer League and where you're not overreacting, but you're able to see growth and opportunity, you've seen it to this point in the areas you would have liked to. I know that Jairus Walker is shining brightest with that. Man, the one question that I wanted to ask Tony that I totally forgot about was he posted on Twitter because the Pacers have apparently been just pubbing these answers from rookies on their favorite items and their favorite things. And bread. <laughs> ben Shepard said for his favorite food, it was bread. And Tony immediately was like, man, I, I have so many follow-ups that I need to take I do care too. of. Like what? Bread? <laughs> It's too broad. Like, what do you mean bread is your favorite food? I feel like bread is a part of almost every food. Like, it's just so weird. Does that mean you're undefeated then in that regard? Because you're getting a little bit of everything? I guess so, but it was just a funny interaction. I don't think he was intentionally being funny. I think he's being dead serious when he said that. But I would really appreciate it if he was just being funny. I don't know about you, but how much? Ah, bread. Yes, it's it's my all-timer just for me. Ben Shepard, man of the people, man of the bread. I don't know. I mean, interesting guy, but um, yeah, that was that was pretty funny. Yeah, so I mean, again, uh, 
It's what it is. We'll send Tony a text. There's no doubt we'll have him again at some point between now and when things get underway for the Pacers, which, again, with the way the NBA moves, I mean, it's going to be in the blink of an eye where Colts season will finally be upon us, but then not far after that, the Pacers will be beginning their training camps getting closer and closer, and I know myself included, particularly the man to my right, being the basketball aficionado that he is, counting down the days there as well for when we get both NBA and college hoops back in our lives. Yes, sir. I mean, I can't wait. I think that it's going to be a very, very fun season for the Pacers because of the additions that they've made to the roster, because of Tyrese's growth. I hope that Benedict Matherin can continue to become more of a playmaker. If that's the case, I think they could really unlock more with that team. And then as Tony alluded to as well, even before we get to that point, I'm excited for what the Fever have going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, yesterday's game – for those who aren't as familiar with what's going on with that team, but it was a really good atmosphere. It was kids' day. The game was at noon. And Aaliyah Boston, who is sort of writing this story and having one of the best rookie seasons ever in W history, she hits this three where I'm just like, wow, that's that's just best player, you know, best moment type of stuff. And you just wonder when will the wins kind of show up with that because they're really in every single game. And Aaliyah Boston has been playing fantastic as well as Kelsey Mitchell, two All-Stars. And so I'm excited to see them play. They'll be on different teams this uh, All-Star game. And I asked Kelsey or someone else did actually. They were like, hey, you know, what about – you know, Aaliyah Boston checking you on defense. She was like, nah, she don't want that. Like, anything on the perimeter, I got anything in the paint Aaliyah Boston has. But, again, exciting times overall, I think, for Indianapolis because of what you have with Anthony Richardson, Aaliyah Boston, and Tyrese Halliburton, Benning Matherin, whoever you want to choose. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to revisit that conversation we had earlier on quarterbacks and where proper evaluation is. We talked about Justin Herbert and whether or not, with what he's done to this point in time, about to enter his fourth season, if it's fair to ask for more from him and where that evaluation period will line up in terms of what would be successful for Anthony Richardson by the time we're having similar conversation in a couple years from now. That and more, plus a better two, we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Earlier on the Fan Midday Show, we discussed Justin Herbert, where the call is for him, and if he's proved it enough in the National Football League, this will be year four for a Justin Herbert. Another name that, again, doesn't have quite that same call of it's now or never because he's a freak athlete and is one of the best quarterbacks hands down in the National Football League is Josh Allen, who's going to have another opportunity this coming season to, again, take the Bills to the promised land. That's something where they felt like we're literal seconds away just two years ago before Patrick Holmes and those Chiefs ended up getting them in the end. But last year, wound up losing at home in the divisional round of the Cincinnati Bengals. And now for Buffalo, you have this conversation of quarterback battles. Who's the greatest currently right now? And that's going to go on until the end of time. But the front runners, it would appear, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, and then either close behind or right there, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. Throw Aaron Rodgers' name in there with expectations there in New York. But you see these evaluations over time and how we evaluate the modern NFL quarterback. And for Justin Herbert, you and I agreed a couple segments ago that most teams would gladly give just about anything to be able to have Justin Herbert as their quarterback. Not all teams, because some have that franchise guy, but the Chargers think they have that in Herbert. The Colts hope they have that in Anthony Richardson. 
as you're mapping out this thing, again, we're we're jumping several seasons here. We're effectively playing Madden, and we're looking at running the franchise, just right. the two of us. I, I can see the future. Right now. I, I, well, I know you have that gift of clairvoyance with you anyway, yes. but uh, just from a standpoint of we're running the team now, dangerous game for all involved. <laughs> Is four years a fair evaluation? And if you look at what Justin Herbert has done to this point, again, there could be parallels here. I know they're two different players, but like Herbert with Mahomes in front of him in that division, Anthony Richardson has Trevor Lawrence in front of him in that division that appears to be the next dominant face in the South. And from an expectation standpoint, the Chargers weren't supposed to make the playoffs the first year that Justin Herbert was forced into the starting role when <laughs> that injection was oh poorly placed. <laughs> so uh, from that opportunity that was there for Herbert is unique, but he still now had three seasons under his belt. Is that a fair evaluation period for quarterbacks in today's NFL asking at year four, okay, it's time for true success? Or when you look at what he's done versus what Anthony Richardson's going to be asked to do, if you had one playoff appearance in three years here in Indianapolis, would that be enough for you to be satisfied with the growth of the quarterback? Uh, there's so much nuance to that, There right? is, I know. Because if he's balling out and it's like we just haven't been good enough in other areas, sure. our defense, for example, hasn't been what it needs to be, but he's you know, throwing 30 touchdown passes Wins to 12 receptions. Stat. I, that, that's right. more my camp are. I don't know if you're there. So I don't mean it like it's all on him if they don't. Right. But that's what it feels like is being presented nationally on Justin Herbert going into this season. And I think, honestly, if, that a, if that's a conversation that we're having down the line about Anthony Richardson, I think you got it right. Because you expect so much out of him. Mm-hmm. And with that expectation comes ridiculous expectations, maybe from the outside. Maybe not in your building. But I think that comes with the territory of being – and sort of that upper echelon or trying to push into it that you're held to almost an impossible standard. And you look at the players who have sort of set the bar and Patrick Mahomes put it so far out there where it's like, okay, it's him and then everybody else. But the bar is so high for Joe Burrow now that he's pushed it that far. Josh Allen and then Justin Herbert. It's like, yeah, you probably weren't supposed to make the playoffs since you did. Guess what? We're going to add more pressure to your plate. Mm -hmm. And so – you, it's almost like you don't get any credit for getting better quicker than expected, right? but maybe not taking that last leap. And I think that leap is reserved for a few people. And we see it across all sports where you have the really good players and it's like, can you be the best player on a championship team? Right. And that's the question I think with Justin Herbert in, in, in a nutshell is can he be the best player on a Super Bowl caliber team? And I believe he can be. And now that doesn't mean that he's going to be the best quarterback in the NFL, but I think that that means that they have to continue to build around him and expect him to at least be good enough to get you in the dance and give you a shot. Because if you look at some of the teams that have won Super Bowls over the years, and I think the perfect one is Eli Manning. Like Eli Manning was never the best quarterback in the NFL, but if you got in the dance, and obviously they had some, some incredible runs, but if you got in there, you felt like you at least had a shot. Right. And that's what you're competing for, at least in my opinion, in the NFL, because it's very rare that you're going to have the perennial quarterback who's just there forever. And when you do get that guy, you hold on to him. They don't go anywhere. And so we look at what 
Aaron Rodgers is still doing in the NFL at a high level. Obviously, he's in a new scenery over with the Jets. Tom Brady paid Manning for such a long time. But, again, that's three guys. I mean, it, it's not like where there's ten guys who are always going to be there forever. Like, it, it's usually like four or five that are around year after sure. year. And then you might get a guy, and your window maybe isn't as long as the other guys, but they give you a shot to at least get in there, make some noise, and have a chance to win it all. And I think a, a perfect example could be a guy like Lamar Jackson. Like I don't know if Lamar Jackson will have the career longevity of a Mahomes, of a Burrow, of even a Justin Herbert because of his style of play. Sure. But do you think that guy had, gives you a shot to win it all? And I would say Baltimore probably like, yeah, let's get in the playoffs and see what happens. So um, that's where I'm at with Justin Herbert is like, he may not be good enough to be an all-pro, first-team all-pro quarterback, but, hey, he could be good enough to get you to the Super Bowl and maybe win it all. Going to the team and not just the quarterback, because, again, I, I don't – a lot of people do this and it turns into, you know, casual debate amongst your friends or, or barbershop talk of, okay – uh, who's led their team to more wins. And there are certain areas where I believe those stats. Like if it's come from behind drives, okay, that's a quarterback really dictating things. Our game-winning overtime, game is tied drives. To lead your team to victory, that's fine. But all in all, it's not as simple as just wins and losses from a record standpoint of are you a good quarterback or not. It's deeper than that. Going towards the team and evaluating the team itself, the Chargers, 6-9 and nine is rookie season, 9-8, and eight, in 2021, they were in that playoff conversation for a long time, ultimately did not get there. 10-7 and seven last year, lose the Jaguars in humiliating fashion of their collapse within Super Wild Card Weekend. The biggest similarity there with what, it does not matter almost how good Anthony Richardson is. In today's NFL, more often than not, it's best quarterback wins. Doesn't always happen that way, right. but... That is, it's less the Eli Mannings of the world. And while Eli, his postseason numbers, I mean, like he, he is a postseason icon in that regard and stealing two from the Patriots. It, it's mind boggling and he's going to go down in history for that forever. But more often than not, it is the elite of the elite quarterbacks are who wins Super Bowls. I, I outline this to say the Chargers are in Kansas City's division and so often they are not having the mindset or they might have it, but it doesn't end up this way of, our first step in chasing a Lombardi trophy is winning the division. There's no doubt that's within the Chargers locker room every year. They want to win the division. It sets you up for an easier path, in theory, to taking home a Super Bowl trophy. That hasn't been the case in the last two seasons because Mahomes <laughs> exists and because they're fighting for a wild card spot. That's why we talked about when we had that conversation with Jake Arthur earlier. That podcast will be up 107.5thefan.com a little bit later today. You cannot afford a big chasm to erupt because of where the gap is between Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars and Anthony Richardson and Indianapolis Colts because if it happens you're going to be in a spot where doesn't mean you can't get a ticket to the dance like you said but you're chasing wild card spots like the Chargers are versus division titles right and I agree with you but it's I'm always thinking to myself what option do you have if he isn't the guy like he hasn't been sure bad enough for you to be like, okay, we could just put on this guy. Because you could say, oh, okay, he's not really good enough. He isn't. Because I'm looking at the Super Bowl champion quarterbacks. The list is 
for the most part, the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm looking at this, and it's like... For every Eli Manning and Joe Flacco, there are five like, <laughs> Tom Brady's and two Peyton Manning's. I mean, I'm looking at the list. It's, it's, it's Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, like Nick Foles, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. So yep. it's the same names that have sort of been at the top, the upper echelon. But the grass isn't always greener if you give up on a guy who maybe isn't. And I wouldn't, by the way. Good I would enough. not give no, up. No, no, I'm yet. just saying. I, I get what you're saying. Like, is it, you know, where do you go? And I think you're kind of in this sort of conundrum where you don't really have an option other than to just go all in on Justin Herbert and hope that, you know, you get a break where maybe. You um, you know, and, and the NFL is finicky like this sometimes, like a bad bounce in a game sure. or, you know, not being rude, but just being honest, an injury changes things for your division or the playoff outlook and things like that. And so that's why I'm thinking to myself, hey, man, you might want to hit your wagon to this guy and hope that you can get over the hump. And one guy I think that hasn't maybe – um we haven't talked about enough here today and, and has caught some slack is Brandon Staley, the head coach. Yes. You know, he's one of the new age coaches and, and very aggressive and, you know, deeply into analytics, which I'm all for. I'm not against that. I'm not either. I think you need balance, but I'm, I'm right. here for it, though. But again, he's someone who I think more pressure should be on him. I think it'll always be on the player because the player goes well, if they miss the play, If they miss the playoffs this year, he's probably gone. Right. Like just the way the and NFL so works. I know that the conversation we were having is about Justin Herbert, yeah. but it's like, okay, how about we take a look at the guy who's in charge yeah. of managing all of this? Because even with Anthony Richardson, if there are signs that he could be a special quarterback – but there's other signs where you might point to the coach and be like, hey, is Shane Steichen the right guy? That conversation has to yeah. be had. And I think the Chargers are seriously considering that because, like you said, if they don't make the playoffs, I think that he's out. And then if they make it and lose you know, in a wild card, I mean, for what? Yeah. So um, I'm not saying I want this guy to get fired or lose his job. Sure, not at all. Sure, sure. I'm saying that that is the reality that was, of the NFL. That was the conversation that was happening at the end of last season. It was like, there's, I mean, obviously Chargers fans are ready to like just bust their pitchforks out sure, and sure. just ride, you know, <laughs> down to the stadium and whatever and just, you know, sulk. But you just wonder how much leash is he going to be given and how much of that is tied to the development of Justin Herbert, who, again, I think is a really good quarterback. I mean, the guy is three years into his career. He's already thrown 94 touchdown passes to 35 interceptions. That's a really yeah. good start to, to your career, man. And you're looking at, to bring it full circle with the Colts, Anthony Richardson, yes, that is the the type of map and growth and development you want is to be in a situation where two or three years in your career, regardless of where the team is at from a success standpoint, of course, everybody wants the success, but you just want to know that you feel like he's the guy. And right now, again, a lot of team building and a lot of happy general managers would feel that same feeling right. if they were fortunate enough to have Justin Herbert as their man under center. we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have final thoughts to close out a Thursday plus a return of an old segment that became a bit of a new segment in our gambling corner when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Final time on a Thursday here on the Fan Midday Show. Around this time, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Nathaniel Finch with us as well. Around this time, we usually hand out bets for the day and traditionally at least throughout the last two years or so these have been plays of the day but how this segment started was the jay cook parlay 
of the day. And because of our lack of full-scale events to bet on, we're given one more parlay just for old time's sake with our bets. Let's go. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. It's time to get involved with Wimbledon. That's right. We're putting together a tennis parlay, but it's by no means a (laughs) risky, high-level parlay. It is a parlay that gets you to about minus 140 juice, which, considering who you're betting on, is not necessarily a bad way to go. First, on the women's side of the bracket, at center court, the final takes place tomorrow. It's Marketa Von Strozova against Ons Jabor. We are taking Ange Jabor, the favorite, to win outright and take a Wimbledon title. On the other side of things, on the men's side, we are going to take Novak Djokovic to claim yet another Grand Slam. He is about minus 540. She's about minus 230. You combine those together, you get minus 144. That is your Jay Cook parlay of the day. It'll take place tomorrow, technically, but at 5 a.m. So we'll know how we did by tomorrow's show. Gentlemen, did you do any mental gymnastics to try to find any bets for the folks at home? I certainly didn't. Right. I think you're speaking another language, but I trust you. Okay. I trust you. Anything from you? I like James's idea. Over under, what time does he get in the studio tomorrow? I mean, that, <laughs> that's about all we can do, right? <laughs> uh, we're going to set the bar at 1048 or 1148 over under. I'm going over. Over. He'll get here closer to noon. Oh, man. See, they're there. You know what? (laughs) I might just screw you guys. Actually, be early. Be early, early. But We'll have that official tally for you tomorrow. (laughs) Thanks, Nate Atkins, Jake Arthur, and Tony East. James will be back in here with me tomorrow. John's next. Keep it right here.